1: From the center of the galaxy, this is Force Center, a show about Star Wars, pop culture, and the ultimate adventure, life itself. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And I'm Ken
4: Napsok. And I'm Jennifer Landa.
1: And this particular episode is something we're thrilled to be returning to. It is The Bad Batch Report. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for those of you who have maybe given us a try haven't been with us over the years of uh, ken and i doing mandalorian report bad batch report clone wars report uh, i always like saying saying the title real real loud and then ken used to just fake the the music uh mm-hmm. but then it became just this sort of improv <laughs> slot where ken <laughs> makes a noise maybe words maybe music maybe the howl of a lurk hound mm-hmm. who knows but i wanted the tradition <laughs> to continue
3: I think it almost started by accident. The first time you ever said Clone Wars Report, I just was like, Doo, do, 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 do. and here we are. Here we are. I'm
1: <laughs> and howling here on Ken. We are. <laughs> Traditions evolve. It's uh, the nature of Star Wars. We are very excited to be discussing season three of The Bad Batch, the first three episodes. And we're really excited to have Jennifer Landa here with us. Like I said, uh, Ken and I really started doing some of these uh, deep dives uh, during a window of the Force Center era where you were taking care of a newly created. I don't know why I see created newly born um, Padawan yeah. uh, so it's yes. great to have you here with us uh to take a look at what these uh, stories are all about how they make us feel all that stuff
4: yeah I'm happy to be here that's kind of wild to think that that this started when I had for she she's now what almost she's four so it's hard to believe wow
1: that sounds young to me at this point. Because every time I turn around, somebody's child is well. They're in college, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the wave of uh, my contemporaries to become grandparents. It's right around the corner. Uh, anyway, yeah,
3: and I track how old my playstations are.
1: <laughs> my PlayStation Four is eight. My five is two. Yeah, yeah. My PlayStation is like is older than your your youngest child, Jennifer. Amazing,
4: amazing. Yeah. I think mine, is, mine is two. Actually, come to think of it, than my youngest child. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, this I think these are episodes uh, uh, at least partially about generational change. Uh, how's that for a segue? So we'll get into the first three episodes of season three of The Bad Batch. Uh, the first episode, we always like to share the uh, names of the directors and the writers to make sure that we are giving credit where credit is due. First episode is titled Confined, directed by Saul Ruiz, written by Jennifer Corbett, story editor across the board, Matt Machinovitz. Uh, episode two is called Paths Unknown, directed by Nate Villanueva, written by Matt Uh Season three, uh, episode three, Shadows of Tantis, which you must say slowly and carefully so you don't accidentally say anything else you shouldn't. Uh, Directed by Stuart Lee and written once again by Matt Uh, So part of the reason, Jennifer, that we really started to share these, these names is because they track across the history of Star Wars animation from Clone Wars to Rebels and Some of these names we feel like should be a little bit more fresh on the lips of Star Wars fans because they've made such a huge and ongoing contribution to the animated side of Star Wars and therefore all of Star Wars.
4: That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have dog now distracting me.
1: <laughs> Understandably
3: so. Understandably so. Uh, I, sometimes I have my note screen up so I don't see the camera. I, now I come back to it and find a lurka hound. A, a hey, is, is Mala. Hey, is Mala.
1: is looking outside at the bright sunshine, uh, much like Omega in the episodes. I wouldn't uh,
3: want it any other way, Jeff.
1: the other uh credit thing that i wanted to acknowledge is maybe this has happened on other things maybe it was there on on ahsoka i don't know uh but score has often just been by kevin kiner uh this time the score is kevin kiner sean kiner deanna kiner and i think that's something where, where fans who are paying attention knew that uh that the whole kiner family was contributing but i thought it was great to see on screen ken did you have any reaction to that
3: I was glad to see it. I, I it it shows uh, you know growth in the traveling Kiner family circus. I guess that's uh, now putting all these together. I love this. I imagine them on a bus and they just roll up to a big studio and start uh, conducting uh, music there. It's uh, it's uh, it's fun. It's a family affair. It's truly a Star Wars thing.
1: Right, where's the Star Wars like uh, Partridge family show about the <laughs> oh, uh, I think I, I
3: love you what is so afraid of yeah
1: I think this music has a rock beat wow it does that's amazing impressive mm-hmm. uh, also uh, not to dwell on it but again we just want to give uh, credit where credit is due uh, you know head writer head creator Jennifer Corbett in particular obviously uh, felonia is, is has much power in Star Wars and has helped shape bad batch I'm sure in terms of like the big picture and connections stuff Things, but really want to celebrate that this team is really making Bad Batch in all of the details. And to me, that's really important because I think the flavor of Bad Batch is very similar to lots of things in Star Wars, but is kind of its own beast. And I think it's these creatives who are taking a big swing and making something that connects to everything, it feels like Star Wars, but is just a little bit different that makes it really powerful. Ken, uh, any thoughts on that?
3: A big, big agree on that. This is an, an all-star team of names you're talking about. Matt Machinovitz going back to the Clone Wars days. I think uh, his story editing alone should be in Star Wars Creative Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> and Jennifer Corbett, I just – I didn't get a chance to complete my Bad Batch Season 2 rewatch, so I skipped ahead to The Outpost. Perhaps uh, one of my favorite Star Wars uh, pieces of art. And that's mm. a Jennifer Corbett episode. And uh, this, that paired with this first episode here – and uh, the, the the style which she paints should be uh, studied and applauded in Star Wars. So uh, all great episodes here, but that one uh, in particular, I loved.
1: Yeah, very much agreed. And yeah, the first, first episode I thought was phenomenal. So let's get into that. Let's talk about our overall reactions. Then we'll dive a little bit deeper into sort of the big ideas of the individual episodes and the big ideas that translate across those three episodes. But Ken, just to start out, what was your overall reaction? Did you love these episodes, like them, struggle with them? Where'd you go?
3: Uh, I, I really, really love them. Not a surprise. Not a surprise just because I'm generally positive on Star Wars, but Bad Batch has become what I keep saying is, is my favorite Star Wars show, which is never to be used against any other shows and never in a, in a ranking slot. It's just the one that continues to reward me in a way that I, I think I wasn't expecting when it first launched. And I, I know I wasn't expecting when it first launched. And these particular episodes uh, really struck a, a chord. We could talk about three episodes at once. I'm not even concerned about At Midnight, 9, 8, we could talk about that too, but like I had the ability to watch these with plenty of time in the morning when I woke up, but uh, it's a lot. It's big three episodes, big, Mm -hmm. big, rich, dense episodes, uh, and so uh, that's not a complaint at all. It's just uh, you know when you're doing this kind of uh, work, you have to get through it. But um, just – yeah, everything about it and and, and the overall – we're talking the overall uh, themes too, but just just picking up where the story – I love the intro – Uh, that does the recap and I always like paying attention to that because it sets tone it's not just a reminder it sets tone and I I wrote down following orders to running away to a false sense of freedom to connecting with those around you to discovering your new self and connecting to the bigger picture Uh, and that's where we are with these characters and I think it really really took the first two seasons and sets the table going forward.
1: Yeah, that recap was great, uh, like you said, just even for mood setting, even if you're all caught up. But also just the the uh, choices from the creators of what do we want you to most focus on. It, it felt yeah. less like, you know, plot specific to uh, emotional canon. Here's what we want you to focus on. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer, what was you just power binged Bad Batch? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was your overall reaction to these episodes on just like an emotional level? You enjoy them. Did you struggle with them? Where'd you go?
4: I loved it. I woke up at 6.30 this morning and I was literally one eye open. and I'm like drinking my coffee the first episode. Of- and immediately I started waking up. I got pulled in. It, and I, by the end of the third episode, I was like, it's so interesting, Jennifer Corbett and this team, I was like, can they please do something in live action? Because mm-hmm. what they are doing in this show is so incredible. It's powerful storytelling. It is cinematic. They are not afraid to take the time that they need, the moments of silence that I've talked about before, taking mm-hmm. those longer beats because the characters are filling it in. These are animated characters, right? But they're giving incredible performances. The voice actors are giving incredible performances. The, the lighting, the shots, all of it working together, the music. It is some of the best star Wars and it's just, I'm, I'm laughing at myself because, it, you know, I was like, Oh, I have bad batch homework. No, <laughs> it's great, great storytelling.
3: Uh- uh, Jen, we described, we, we got in this thing during the, uh, we didn't have a chance to do review a Soka week to week, but an issue of pacing came up And this, I hate getting into these silly debates of what cameo is, what uh, filler is, what pacing mm. is, but this is a great mm. example of pacing has nothing to do with the the, the speed. It's not like we want breakneck uh, episodes. It, it is, it is it, pacing's about the move, movement of the story forward, and you can take as much time as you want to do that. I uh, was give the example of, give me King Robert Baratheon having a, a glass of wine with Cersei for an hour, and we're going to a great tense episode and this was a great these episodes especially the first one great example of pacing
1: Mm -hmm. yeah for me maybe maybe the better word to use than pacing is tension and uh, Mm I I love 90 percent of Ahsoka and I know there are people out there it's their their favorite thing so I don't want to dwell on it but there were parts of Ahsoka where I felt like uh the actual tempo was slower and there wasn't tension I've kind of felt like I'm pretty sure I know what the person is going to say or do next in it is taking an incredibly long time to happen.
5: Mm. Whereas
1: in, in some episodes uh, of Bad Batch, it is all about tension. That shot can go as long as possible because I'm on the edge of my seat emotionally emotionally. Um, the way I feel.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We just had an explosion
1: of tension. Oh
4: my god!
1: That's exactly the way Bad Batch makes me feel.
4: A wonderful (laughs) example. I'm going to put her outside. I'll be right back.
1: (laughs) Okay. Mala Mala has
3: struck, and for those uh, listening to the podcast, go to uh, about the 11 and a half minute mark in the video to see a dog strike.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so funny. There's so much window business. uh, and longing for the outdoors. Uh in the, the bad batch episodes. It's really funny that Ma's like, I too am confined. I spent my life on Camino and now I want to yep. be in the front yard chasing yep. squirrels.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Confined, the Mala story. <laughs> I love that. You, yeah. you know,
1: Mala the dog is, is uh, on thematic point with, I think, what's yes. going on in these episodes, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think for myself, for for oval, overall reaction to these first three episodes, uh, I, I had a smile on my face and a slight tear in my eye for almost all yeah. three episodes. Uh, they're so, they have so built up for me, a love of these characters and the horror of the time they're living in. And these particular episodes had such a great constant images of dread and darkness and the subliminal coming out to grab you contrasted with just these kind of brief moments of uh, light and hope and life uh, that it left me just very emotional of pulling for these characters. Um, I think, uh, uh, Jennifer, you, you use the term cinematic, which is something that Ken and I have definitely discussed. I think for me, the thing that, that keeps popping to mind, and I think Bad Batch did it uh, in the first season, really started to do it in the second season and is uh, doing it strong here at the beginning of the third is this m- minimalism,
5: mm-hmm.
1: which is this real sort of like less is more kind of style that the ideas of each individual episode to me are like very simple Very direct, but the audience is made to feel them because the ideas are channeled with such specificity, and they feel sort of essential and primordial. I feel like what what we're moved by is a a straw doll that holds all the tension and the meaning of the episode. You know, a Mm -hmm. a beast Mm -hmm. in the moonlight, uh, Mm -hmm. monsters in a bubbling dark swamp, in all of those images and ideas you can find in other places in star Wars. But I think the way they're being used is in this sort of great minimalist way where they're just loaded with meaning and we're going to break it down, but you don't really have to break it down. You just feel it on this sort of deep subliminal primal level. And I think that's the absolute power of bad Mm -hmm. batch and how they're kind of doing something a little different in their storytelling, you know, taking the, the plot mechanic of, Eventually Omega's blood is maybe going to be discovered or maybe the machine is going to be stopped and just getting all that power out of just a device turning Mm -hmm. a device turning a device turning and cutting back and forth to it. That sort of minimalist cinematic slow burn storytelling is just what's so powerful about the way Bad Batch tells a story.
3: I think all kind of boiling down to that ticking clock of the blood. I think that was you're you're right to point that out. That was one of the best uh, uh, devices in these three episodes. Just that gung gung gung. You felt it. You really felt what you're talking about. So therefore, yeah, you're staring at a straw doll, but you, that blood's that blood's turning in your mind all through
1: it. Yeah, and in, in, in I think for me, like an example of great tension because we we don't know what we want. Do we want yeah. the blood the machine to be stopped? Right. So Omega isn't discovered. Mm. Or do we want the blood <laughs> yeah. to be found so Omega is spared? And your it creates this great tension of push pull yeah. of what do you want in the episode? And, and um, the, thir-
3: the third the yeah. third option for me was could the the blood hit so I could find out what's going on? <laughs> Our theory's yeah. coming true, like that's yeah. Little yeah,
1: and it it hits and a Palpatine just grows <laughs> like a a horrible corrupted little flower. Wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> um, <laughs> Another thing that we've talked about uh, a lot when we're talking about Bad Batch, Jennifer, is just how beautiful the animation is. Uh, And at one point we had a conversation. I can't even remember. I think it was the first season, not even the second season, where Ken was like, we shouldn't say that the animation is beautiful every episode. (laughs) And I was just like, you know what? I tell my wife that I love her every day. We can say the animation is beautiful every episode (laughs) because it is. How much are you affected by just like the actual quality of the animation, the aesthetic beauty uh, of literally what's on screen?
4: That's why I said, can can these people jump to live action? Because Mm. it, it, I mean, there are times where I'm like, this is not far off from what they do with you know the visual effects <laughs> right, with those right, creatures, right. those mm-hmm. terrifying the little ones. I'm sure that there's a name that I don't remember. Uh, Lurkheads, so, yeah, yeah. No, not the the, uh, um, the little
1: slithervine babies when they become yes. legs oh, and teeth. Yeah, yeah.
4: Those, oh, those. Yeah, that, was, that was a. they were reminiscent for me. of Stranger Things, right? They were yes, reminiscent yes. of mm-hmm. Stranger Things. They were terrifying, and yes, I'm so looking right. at them, going, you know, they that in live action very easily quite frankly just do a little bit more with the shots like it's already there (laughs) um and so i thought that that was fascinating that they were creating these horrifying things in this (laughs) animated show that i was actually really terrified by
1: yeah Yeah, no absolutely um i'm sure we'll get into more of this with theme but just a a couple other overall thoughts that i wanted to get your thoughts on um i thought that there was this kind of uh, a great change from previous seasons of obviously season two ends with a big shattering. This is the bad batch and, mm-hmm. you know, only up to two <laughs> batchers together at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and I thought that that sadness was played and made it feel different than bad batch of previous seasons. And I was particularly affected in the second episode to see of all people, people wrecker be scared. Like, mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. all of Bad Batch, a lot of times, even when it was a darker episode, uh, you, we'd get some comedy, particularly from Wrecker and Tech playing off of one another. There's not as much comedy in these three episodes. uh, But that second episode where Hunter feels like, I'm going to do anything no matter how dangerous, and Wrecker of all people is the one who's like, yeah, but this is scary and we might lose one another. W- were you guys affected by it feeling different to other seasons of Bad Batch? Ken?
3: Yeah, there's an absence of light in these episodes in in a lot of different ways, both actually on screen, in the hearts and souls of these characters and those moments you talked about earlier of staring off to where Omega once, uh, you know, rested her head or Mm -hmm. just sat there studying or the shots of Omega looking out. And even just uh, on a sunny day on on Mount Tannis, you know, there's a dangerous jungle, but just even those flashes of light I I put down in my notes, the coldness of the Empire is on full display. It's drab and, and, and sterile. Obviously, that's the Empire we've, we've kind of known that aesthetic but how they're pl- attached to the bigger themes but i felt especially even with wrecker wrecker's my guy right uh, you know mm-hmm. you got tech i got wrecker that's how we divided up the action figures around these parts it's <laughs>
1: <we just laughs> like all characters but yeah you know that didn't st- work out for me
3: <laughs> that that um that uh you know, ex- even when he like puts uh, you know gonky on his back there's like a moment of like yes yes because you want want them to get back to that and so i really mm-hmm. felt that it was driven home in these three three episodes
1: yes and, and i will correct myself we saw three members of the squad together with uh hunter wrecker and gonk because <laughs> gonky. gonky should be a full member <laughs> yeah <laughs> jennifer you just watched season two did the vibe feel different in these episodes did it feel darker more frightening
4: it did. I really actually liked it. I liked them being separated. I uh, I thought that they each kind of got their own little vignette. Um, and what I loved about the first episode with Omega was she felt like a plant growing in concrete. Mm. I was so – like this was – it's a terrifying place where she is, and yet she mm. still is trying to make things better. She mm-hmm. still is trying to show kindness to those around her, whether it's the, the Lorca Hound or, you know, Emery. And that I just saw like, – Like she was giving me so much hope and I was like, what a wonderful example, not just for kids, but for adults as a reminder, like she's in a bad situation, but as we see, it is her kindness and and her, uh, I don't know, empathy and Mm -hmm. also like her hopefulness that leads to her escape.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with both of you. We, I, we'll, we can dive deeper into all of these, the glimpses of hope and light <laughs> in the yeah. horror of the Empire. But uh, but I think the the amount of horror in these episodes and feeling like the Bad Batch is actually different. Like, I think I was just affected by, like, big picture that th- all of them feel a little wounded. Like, mm-hmm. that Hunter used to be cautious, and he's not very cautious anymore. Wrecker mm-hmm. used to bulldoze into anything except for heights, and he's not bulldozing anymore. Crosshair Mm -hmm. is defined by being a good shot, and he's not a good shot anymore. Mm -hmm. And Tech, who provided a lot of the the humor of the show, in in humor coming from an absolute place of kindness and empathy, Uh, you can watch my video about that, I'm not um, dismissing Tech for being comedy, but he did provide a lot Mm -hmm. of heartfelt comedy. He's gone entirely except for that great exchange of dialogue about how he uh, made... Omega mm-hmm. memorize all the plans. So all of them feel slightly diminished, and it adds to this sense of we're really looking to Omega for, for the next step out of the darkness.
3: You're both making mm-hmm. wonderful points, Jen. The the flower growing in concrete is a great way to describe what's going on with Omega in these episodes. And Joseph, you're so right. I put down that note of just cross, crosshair's identity is slipping away, or at least what he thinks it might is, and it might mm-hmm. be, and this might be about change or what happens when when that stuff. But to to tie that into Hunter and Wrecker like you've done, uh, is is a, an excellent point of what's at, what's at stake here.
1: Yeah, well, awesome. Um, last thing for the big picture, and then we'll dive into that the flower and the concrete. Um. Uh, I do want to talk about the delivery of the episodes, the big three, uh, all at once. Um, for me, I, I I was so torn because vibe-wise, just like vibe, <laughs> I would have rather seen them one at a time because that first episode was so incredibly powerful to me. I almost just wanted to sit in that world for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then plot-wise, I, I really understand why they put all three at, out at once because it, the the first episode is establishing where omega's at the second is where hunter and Wrecker's at and then the third is is where what are the big picture stakes and in, in forward movement and in a way it's such a great picture of bad batch i think there are some people who don't like it cuz they feel like it's slow or they are filler episodes or why did we need why did we need to spend a half hour with hunter and Wrecker looking for omega we know she's looking for o- o- omega there are people who don't like it because i do think sometimes the overall plot does move but it it's not on fire with the with the speed that it's moving and the value of these episodes to me comes from how deeply we sink into the mood the character the idea so uh, i i was interested in your thoughts on this sort of the value you have a vibe i just want to sit with the vibe of this episode versus yeah i do also want to feel like i saw a good chunk of plot and i did with these three episodes ken what are your thoughts on that
3: yeah, it's a it's a conversation I, I'd love to have, but I'm afraid to have it on air and and try to stumble. I don't want to suddenly be the old man screaming, "Why are TikTokers at the People's Choice Award?" And I agree with Billy Eilish. I don't know why they're there. Um, and and there's something to be said about. Look, this is a movie that started. These three episodes essentially are are a little mini movie. The Andor started the first few episodes. They all all work together. I get why they do it. I think there's some business behind collecting the most views for, you know, more people of watch time, all these kind of things. Maybe to report to investors, maybe just to get ahead in the streaming world, all those kind of things. And that could be kind of cynical. Uh, All that to say that. And and then there's I know people who were like, no, please, why aren't all 16 available right now? And then you get that discussion of. How are you owning the narrative for 16 weeks or one one weekend and all and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of business behind it. That's why I don't want to step in something uh, uh, that I don't want to. But I at the end of the day, maybe it's because I grew up watching Cheers one episode a week. <laughs> maybe it is. I, I I I wanted to sit with these a little bit more, and that has nothing to do with release time, whether or not we got the screeners yep. or not. We didn't. No, all no. The six, None of that. I just yeah. I that that howl of the lurker hound uh, batcher at the end. Like I, that would have been enough for me for a week.
1: Yeah, I think that I wanted to ask you both because I felt so conflicted of like uh, I I was slamming the next button because I wanted to know what happened next. But then I also just wanted to sit with the the image and the emotion a bit longer. Jennifer, how did you feel about that contrast between wanting to know what happens next versus just sitting with the vibe?
4: Yeah, this is an instance where I want to delay the gratification because I do want to sit in it and I do want to rewatch and rewatch and find all the nuances. And I think it's it's important because we're getting character development. Mm-hmm. I suddenly became invested with Batcher, where I'm like, "You better not touch my Batcher! <laughs> you better not!" I was Don't freaking out, Batcher, right? That Batcher yeah. was going to get killed. Um, that's what they did in that, in these episodes. And I, I just think that that nowadays we have a, a, a lot of people that want to check off the boxes, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So we, who, at Palpatine appeared check. Oh, what, when is this going to happen? Okay. Let's get to the next thing as opposed to let's just let it play out. It's okay that we don't know. It's mm-hmm. okay that this is being revealed. We're not going to be scrolling on TikTok to the next video if we get bored. Mm-hmm. So I know that they can't. They can't. They have to appease all fans, right? But personally, I'm good with just one a week. That yeah. I would be just fine with that.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it, it is what it is. Of they they were all released at once, and I partially really enjoyed it because it, it gave us a good a sense of of where things are going they connect well together but also i just i love the vibes also i very quickly say ken i love uh, i saw that billie eilish thing <laughs> and, it's, and it's really funny to me that to me billie eilish is still like didn't she hop on the scene seconds ago isn't she <laughs> Well, yeah. the youngest of the young, like, no, now she is also like, ah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not even yet, kid. right? And she's like, yeah. ah, the kids with their TikTok. And she's not even <laughs> I, I don't think. I don't know. Anyway, this is not a Billie Eilish podcast. Mm-hmm. So we will move on mm-hmm. to the big themes, the big ideas. Um, I felt like each episode did have its own sort of a specificity up to a point. But more than that, I felt a kind of larger, uh, big picture uh, themes and ideas. Are so you both kind of uh okay discussing all, all three episodes kind of is, is one beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, I absolutely agree
3: with that there. Uh, these these were so thematically rich that we'd be here for hours.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um okay so let's uh let's dive in. I, I want to start with uh uh what Jennifer said is the uh the flower growing out of the uh the concrete because I really thought that was not only the big idea of of confined of the first episode but that it popped up in other different ways in the the following two episodes particularly you know shadows of, of tantus and for back at the same place mm. so uh jennifer talk a little bit more for you about the, what the the flower in the concrete means or why you think you felt that what in the episode sort of drew you to that emotion
4: that she didn't give up. I mm-hmm. mean, she could have just sat there in in her little cell and just kind of accepted her fate or been angry about it or been sad about it, right? There's so many... She could have just not uh, wanted to do anything, which would mm-hmm. be a very normal response. However, she was still trying not necessarily to escape, but to make things better for herself. I loved that she was gathering the hay or straw, whatever that was to make her own Tuca doll. I thought it was, it was a great thing for me. It's like, Oh, she's, she's still meeting her needs. She's doing her self care routines that she needs because (laughs) that's important for her. Right. That's like, Mm -hmm. that's a a thing, a source of comfort. And I thought that that was such a, a beautiful moment and then also that she's still trying to get to Emery. like Mm -hmm. come on yeah Yeah. and then she calls the bachelors her brothers like it just really Mm -hmm. she's just such a fascinating character and is so much like a real child it's at times painful (laughs) for me Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and in a real child who is experiencing really horrible things and and one could see how a different child would have uh not not been crushed but turned into a quote-unquote realist like what she yes. goes through on Coruscant where she really thinks mm-hmm. oh it sees up up close how government doesn't work mm-hmm. um and but but then is inspired by all of her time with her brothers where she sees them and other people in the galaxy help each other and believe that that's a possibility and holds on to that hope and this episode is so great for uh, what you're talking about, I love the the flower in the concrete because I wrote it down just as sort of humanity versus rigidity, mm. um, which the the evil is is rigidity and control and uniformity. It's such a powerful and consistent image in Star Wars that I was really fascinated to see it be so present in this episode. I, I think it is hope, and it's easy to describe it as as hope. She is staying hopeful hope can be kind of like this nebulous idea and i think some star wars stories do a good job of giving specificity to, specificity to it and mm-hmm. others maybe just like maybe people just said hope too much without showing <laughs> us what that means mm-hmm. and to me this is uh, hope in, in omega is humanity of mm-hmm. connection to other people of creativity of warmth of everything that makes us feel alive and specific and and unique but also connected uh Just the images in this that um, she is staring. We get that really dark intro of the crash on the dark planet and the death and no one cares. And that's the world she lives in. And she's still looking outside. It's Mm -hmm. just like a literalization of I'm choosing to look outside. I'm choosing Mm -hmm. to still be be hopeful and human Mm -hmm. rather than just another character. If it was a different story. They would literally be like on the bunk, looking down at the darkness and looking down at the metal floor. Right. Mm -hmm. So just like that initial image is great. The fact that it is if if this was an episode where she was just not giving up on crosshair, that would be great. If she was hoping for the best from her sister Emery, that would be great. But that she's domesticating Batcher in insisting on humanity in individuality and care that. She is holding on to her own childhood and insisting on making Lula the Tuca doll. That was such mm-hmm. a great twist because I expected her to be like, is she making a rope Yeah, <laughs> to yeah escape right. like it's hotel towels? What is she up to? <laughs> like, no. Yeah. In- instead of escape, I'm making humanity. And I, I think uh, that's contrasted really well by all of the images of Repetition. In the episode, we, mm-hmm. we have the centrifuge continuing mm-hmm. to spin. We have the hash marks on the wall. The water drips. The whole thing mm-hmm. is structured as a repetition of days. So we get that sort of feeling of repetition drilled into us and then get to see her fight back against it. And I think the, the whole episode raises a question of, is Omega foolish to believe this?
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And the adults have great quotes of uh, Crosshair tells her you trust too easily. Uh, the hemlock says, you know, flawed logic of idealistic child. He also says, uh, emotion and sentiment have no place within these walls. And I feel like what's my favorite thing about the episode is that it raises this question of is Omega foolish to feel this way. And by the end, when she gets the doll back and we see Batcher happy and free howling at the moon, it feels like the authorial voice of the show is saying our perspective is she is not wrong. Those guardrails of Star Wars that we talk about is it's not wrong to have hope, to have humanity.
3: George Lucas telling Dave, don't ever, uh, you know, give a story to these children that does not contain hope. Right. And and mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. I, this is Jennifer Corbett, Brad Rowe and their team taking that and running with it. I Yeah. The responses to those things you brought up, Joseph, you're right from 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 Omega are so important. Maybe you don't trust enough, uh, you know, stop wasting time on lost causes. And she has this response later on. None of us belong in here. Like I I loved everything about that and her clinging to this hope in humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Ken, did you did you uh, respond to any other specific beats or specific uh, uh, kind of messages or hope or humanity in that first episode? Yeah,
3: look, I love this. Flowers in the Dirt is a great Paul McCartney album that's overlooked from a <laughs> rather bland period in his career. I get it, but Flowers in the Concrete is a great way to describe this three-track album we've got right here, Jed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that you said that. Uh, where I went with that and taken it, and I, I love, uh, Joseph, you tying it deeper into all the beats with Omega. I, I had this idea of... Of this overall, and this is definitely three episodes together here. Of of I looked even as Batcher as a galaxy incarcerated, looking at the time we are in the Omega. on the on the Star Wars timeline, and and what they're trying to do to all these lurker hounds. But we see it play out with Batcher. We see this this sense of, of hope and humanity with o- o- Omega for her or Omega, Omega as as uh, Emery says, Omega. Um, I put this note down. Of this entire these t- entire three episodes reminded me of what the rebellion will be and what hey. it already is at this point in the timeline. Two three years in, I'll, I'll lean on Alex to to tell me exactly the the, the dates, um, and how life and personal identity and agency and trust and truth, all that is at stake here. That's what's at stake, and and the line that that um, uh, Crosshair has if. You're kind of you're talking to Omega just, and I, or maybe it's Omega that says it. Sorry, uh, I just but the line of every stronghold has a weak point, mm. and as you see these walls being built up around, and, and I think you got a great example of uh, of Hemlock selling fear, control as a defense. This idea of oh, you gave your little animal freedom, it's gonna die out there without our security. Mm-hmm. That's the Empire in a nutshell, both on a political level, both on a spiritual level, with Palpatine at the center of it all. And these three episodes really made me think about where we are in Star Wars and then you can connect it to your own lives. But where we are in Star Wars is a rebellion is, a, is forming to fight this. And it's yeah. not just warrior versus warrior. It, it it's felt on all these levels. It it's felt down to these animals, natural to this this world. And even you even have the empire using and creating natural weapons, aside of the slither snakes, mm-hmm. which again are a big nope for me. I'm going to avoid mm-hmm. those the rest of my life. But that that's one of the rare times where we always talk about organic versus mechanical, which is so uh, rich in Star Wars. But you got the empire going. Let's oh all right. Let's use the organic as a weapon now. It's it, it's all coming down on the galaxy right now.
1: No, I, I really agree with you. I think that, that throughout these three episodes, uh, uh, there was this reminder that what the Empire I- and all of it stemming from the Emperor wants to do is, uh, is have an unnatural, impossible level of control over everything, mm-hmm. uh, including nature itself. And I think that's reinforced again and again, that, that clone M count failure. The fact that even Palpatine's like, a lot of people in our organization, we call this an abomination. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't even, yeah. don't even, I can't even, I can't even spin this one. So don't tell people what we're doing here. <laughs> you know, that yeah. some would consider to be unnatural, an abomination. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's all such mm-hmm. a, a great images of the Empire's inability to control nature. And one of my yeah. favorites, it, it was extremely effective just as a, is a rhythmic tension, cinematic device. But the water drip, Mm -hmm. this imperial Mm -hmm. facility built with all of the resource and money and precision humanly possible, and it's still got a leak. Like it's easy to just see the leak as like, oh, that's it's it's great tension building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the leak is like you're saying, like (laughs) we could we should do a YouTube video where we circle the leak and put an arrow at it and go, the rebellion forming, right? Like (laughs) you can't control everything. Even this facility has a slight plumbing issue uh, yeah, you can't I, control nature
3: I love that it's Leia telling Tarkin you you, you keep tightening your grip more systems will slip you through, through it and it's Han and Force Awakens going we can blow it up there's always a way to blow it up like it's, it's it's emotional canon for me
1: yeah yeah one thing about that um the first episode that I wanted to ask you about in particular Jennifer is uh uh, Crosshair and Omega have this conversation. It's in a way kind of sweet because he knows she's been uh, drilled by uh, her, her squad mates on all, all of the procedure of, you know, mil- right. their military ways. So her, him saying, what's your primary objective? Yeah. Uh, and, and trying to kind of get out of her that it, it's escape. And I feel like I I was left feeling like she thinks her primary objective is escape. And she knows that's sort of the correct military answer, but it felt like at the end of the day, escape really isn't her primary objective. It's empathy and care for others. How did how did you feel about what Omega's real primary objective was, Jennifer?
4: I thought that that was exactly it, and I think that it was uh, very noble that she wanted to at least try to to make a change in and make leave that place. A better place it, it, you know even if mm. Emory's is not going to come with her or we don't know what, what was going to happen with uh with batcher obviously before we did she's gonna mm. try it's she mm. just can't be like well but see ya see ya punks i'm out of here that, that's <laughs> yeah. not in her spirit right <laughs> until it is mm. and then talk about tension it's like th- then it becomes dire then it becomes oh now omega is willing to just uh, this is very serious. So I thought that that was that was great that they planted the seeds in the first episode of yeah. why she you know why she wanted to stay really
1: yeah until the time was right and she could get everybody out and and I exactly. like that that she she does she doesn't see an opportunity it's someone she trusts who she knows loves her mm-hmm. is saying now is the time so again mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like escape. Obviously she does want to escape she is she says I don't want to be confined and she's not going to be there forever but it is not the first thing on her mind it feels like how is everybody else doing and how many people can I bring with me is the most important thing to her Ken how do how do you mm-hmm. feel about that take on omega I
3: love it and and Jen what you're saying too of a you know hey maybe you know yeah that's that's on on, on paper let's get out of here but I, there's that exchange that moment where Um, crosshairs to stop wasting time on lost causes. And I think maybe even if in that moment Omega's thinking escape and escape with everybody, it it might – it might remind her of, of no, nah, I don't believe in lost causes. Star Wars is so big on redemption and often we, we focus on the end of that journey. But along the way, there's a lot of people who might view you as not a lost cause. And, and I think that speaks to Omega and this is just her nature. It is who she is. That animal is hurt, she's going to heal it. That animal is not eating, she's going to find a way to feed it. Uh, Crosshair has lost hope, she's going to find a way to not leave him behind and give him that light. And so it might all boil down to a nice, as part of guys would say, thesis please, escape. <laughs> Uh and by the way part of gas would also be like abomination this work that's going on behind our doors here. Um but I, yeah I I I really love that that exchange highlighted it for me that there is no yeah. less causes to Omega right here.
1: Yeah and I think this is one of those moments where the the uh, in that first episode the idea of Omega is going to escape uh, eventually and she does want to escape but her mm-hmm. what she cares about more her more primary objective is, is empathy. There's a part of me that I just wanted to sit with that. Uh and I was happy to see the third episode, but the third episode really does just kind of pay that off. Uh, you know, yeah. I think right away of her empathy literally paying off of she gets the help from Nala Say, uh, Batcher shows up to save her in that classic sort of, you know, Leia in the Ewoks, uh, Padme in <laughs> the Gungans, that kindness being reciprocated, yeah. uh, you know. It really does feel like her empathy is winning. That moment from Crosshair that you're referencing, Ken, is really powerful when he's being, you know, a funny grump uh, throughout the Shadows of Tantus episode about how bad this idea is. uh, Because it's not even an idea. Uh, (laughs) That moment where he kind of reawakens and says, you got us this far and we're not done yet. Yeah. That was... That was like the, uh, the flower in Crosshair's Soul. We haven't seen him <laughs> that like, hopeful and, uh, and animated, no pun intended, uh, for a long time. So I thought that was really, really powerful.
3: Yeah. And it's also a play in the second episode here of uh, some of the great lines of, you know, we have to find her. She's part of our squad. And, and you got these these younger clones, you know, even the clone troopers left left us to die. They said they were following orders, a big refrain in the series. But I think these two episodes, the first two episodes really work together, right? You get mm-hmm. at dark and s- sterile, confined. You got a little bit of light showing up here and they combine for all the stuff you're talking about here. It's more than just escape.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about the second episode and how this idea of sort of uh, uh, the the flower in the concrete humanity versus uh, uh, the rigidity and the horror, how Mm -hmm. that presents itself in the in the second episode. Ken, you were talking about some kind of literal stuff in terms of what uh, the Bad Batch is saying about Omega and their connection. But the the story is pretty straightforward and direct uh, in that second episode. What, where Where do you see that? See this idea of humanity and, and hope uh, blossoming in this second episode?
3: There is, and I, and I did write, and I know Mox is the leader of these three, and I forgot maybe to write down the other three two uh, names.
1: Deke is the one who goes with him, Deke, who goes yeah. with the Bad Batch, and then the other one is Stack, Stack. Mox, Deke, and Stack.
3: You know, oh, I love it, <laughs> love it. I think it's Deke that uh, it says, um. The key line to me in this episode of I don't know where we fit anymore, and this is also key to the entire series, we've talked about mm-hmm. uh, that we love the Bad Batch because there was this Star Wars trivia question of what happened to the clones? Oh, the stormtroopers replaced them. What a neat way uh, and clean way to describe what we are seeing now, now in three seasons, going into three seasons of, of robbing them of their identity, erasing them, taking them away, just destroying them, and in this case, leaving them behind. Uh, that they that they escape i get i know but that was because they would have either been killed or left behind or just ongoing experiments in this empire having their identity taken away and i thought that just was uh you know at play and with record kind of responding at one point we get it we've lost people too it is about lost uh people lost ways it's a path path unknown for everyone Mm -hmm. for the galaxy at this time for those who are fighting against it and that's that's what i was i was really uh, taken in by these three regs these three junior regs lost yeah
1: and alone. Jennifer, how did did you feel like that idea uh, that you said so well about the flower and the concrete, did you feel that in the second episode as well?
4: I felt uh, really sad for these young clones and they just seemed so lost and they really had been discarded, right? They had no purpose and they were seeing the older, the Bad Batchers, and they're like, well, at least, you know, you're loyal. You guys are, Mm -hmm. these these are the people that maybe can help us. And I thought that Mm -hmm. that was such a Um, Again, hope, uh, because without the Bad Badgers, these poor young clones, they have no hope. They have no future. What what are they supposed to do? Everything is so bleak for them. And it's just, it was really (laughs) having it from a younger perspective, I think makes it more powerful. In my Mm -hmm. opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Because you see young people who are struggling to figure out who they are, they need some sort of guidance, or being told that, you know, you you got to figure it out now. Um, So yeah, I thought that that was really Really beautiful and great performance by the voice actor. I tr- I kept trying to get the credits. I couldn't find it on IMDb, um, but whoever it was, great great performance. So one of my great movie.
1: frustrations of watching Bad Batch on the computer <laughs> yeah. that it yeah. it goes to the little sub picture exactly as you would pause for the credits. Yes, yes. the sheer volume of swearing that has happened in my home. Yes. I just simply write down the names of the bleeping actors. Yes.
4: Yeah. so far, <laughs> that, like, ten, ten times.
3: That, that was, but that was me this morning. Going. That was Angelica Houston, right? That was Angelica. God
4: darn Yes, <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yes, yes. Um,
3: yes. Yeah. Can I, uh, 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 Joseph here kicking it to you on this one here? But Jen, you brought up the word loyalty, and I love that loyalty is such a. It's such a weighted word and perhaps even a debated word in these big moral sagas that we watch, Mm. these big myths. uh, I'll even bring it in on some of the early Game of Thrones stuff. The word loyalty comes up a lot on who are you loyal to, what are you loyal to. And I think this episode speaks a lot about that. Takes that word, which can be very rigid, which can be very follow your orders, be loyal – and what are you loyal to? Are you loyal to a system or are you loyal to the living? Are you loyal to uh, the ideas of empathy and compassion and, 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 and Omega representing a certain kind of loyalty that I think I'd much rather have the younger generation follow than some sort of loyalty to this oppressive system that's currently uh, growing at a, a rapid rate? I, I thought that word was pretty strong for the, those clones to be like, well, at least you're loyal uh, and what that meant to them in that moment.
1: Yeah, no, I think there's a lot to be talked about because I think that that idea of loyalty that's so explicit in the second part is is pretty powerful in, in throughout the three episodes with all of the questions of, of identity and all that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I want to go back to, to the, the child point for just a moment. I think mm-hmm. what was really powerful to me uh, about this idea of kind of hope in a dark time in the second episode is our heroes uh, of Hunter and Wrecker, who have been the adults in the room, have started out as like super soldiers who can do anything and then become more wounded as they go along. They felt so deeply wounded uh, Mm -hmm. while also still managing to go forward. The tension of that episode for me was uh, it felt like here's a picture of the Empire has created a world where to care for anyone is to risk death.
5: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, the way mm-hmm. that hunter sort of really explicitly was like well we we, we got to go in there no matter what and and hunter being sort of off his game in a way not prepared like we can't we can't even wait two days for backup we have to go in fast because i have to get omega now and wrecker mm-hmm. being uh, you know afraid and then all of the imagery being lurking darkness bubbling tentacles just like everywhere is the threat of death made even more strong by the fact of course that they they lost tax. So you have all this darkness. And, and frankly, the heroes, the adults, starting to really feel like they're creaking and almost getting to the metaphorical age where, you know, the adult needs the child to start mm. to become the adult because the adult needs the child now. And that we've crossed over from the adult doing a coming-of-age story, getting Omega to adulthood, to now the adults beginning to twilight in needing the children. Mm-hmm. And that happens with Omega and Crosshair. But that was so much to me what this episode was about of painful to watch Hunter and Wrecker so desperate that they're just diving into the gaping maw of death with no plan to get out. And then because these children learn from them, learn about loyalty and hope in a very short time frame from these adults, then the children have already been generationally taught what they need to know to be there for the Mm -hmm. (laughs) aging endangered Mm -hmm. (laughs) adults literally being this beacon of light above them that pulls them out of the mouth of literal death. It's so Mm -hmm. powerful and Mm -hmm. so beautiful and so generational to your point, Jennifer.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that also it's interesting because when they lost tech, I feel like obviously something shifted and perhaps it's, I mean, like in real life, when, when a loved one dies, it reminds us of our mortality that maybe we should be more conscious or I don't know. It just, it just feels like that's where some of this fear could possibly be coming from. We can't mm-hmm. lose another, mm-hmm. you know, we can't, we cannot emotionally ha- handle losing another. And I mm-hmm. thought that that was a uh, really, a real world thing that they introduced
1: yeah, yeah. that is really really uh, uh yeah powerful to be like they're changed they are different they are not mm-hmm. just weird soldiers and and also um yeah to have a lot of clarity from hunter of like our mission is to get our family that's that's where we're headed um mm-hmm. so we talked a little bit about shadows of Tantis. Uh Ken how did you feel like some of the ideas about hope and humanity in in dark times how how do you think they played out in shadows of Tantis, was it mainly uh you know omega and crosshair being there for one another or, or how else did you feel that
3: you know, I think it was a it was a coming together of all the ideas, even some of the stuff at play back in the other the first two episodes. Uh, you know, uh, I put I put down t- in terms of generational change too. It's like Crosshair, uh, he's old wiring, right? It, it mm-hmm. Leave me, save yourself. Versus we see Mox realizes what Hunter and Wrecker are in this moment now, and yes, they have some earned fears, but going all out to not leave someone behind. And I think all these big ideas are at play. Uh, Hemlock again, I mentioned it, you mentioned it too, Joseph, but like totally this like look what you did to Batcher. You, you, you gave Batcher the gift of connection and now it's weak Mm. and now it's going to die. Mm -hmm. And, and you wouldn't want to, why would you do that? We got a system of, it's a safe and secure society if you follow us. And, and all that coming down to, to, uh, what's at stake in, in Shadows of Tantus and them working together and them escaping and leaving no one behind. And, 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 um, yeah, I just thought it was it was it, again. Go. I know we had a discussion of one one episode at a time would have been fun, but to have these three, they work thematically. Have these three together. I thought Re- it was really cool
1: powerful closure. together. Yeah, yeah really yeah. powerful to get that yeah. closure. Jennifer, how did you feel? Uh, uh, hope in humanity and flowers in shadows of Tantas.
4: I really loved Nala, mm. Nala say. and I felt oh, it was so interesting because like her her uh, voice is in even her physical appearance. It looks so fragile,
5: yeah, and mm.
4: feels very fragile. And yet she is so emotionally strong. She feels so strongly to, to save Omega. It was a really, really beautiful relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I also loved Emery's struggle with being torn with what her duty is. But mm-hmm. also she does, we see glimpses of mm-hmm. her that she really mm-hmm. does care. A little she bit. Brought right? yeah. She brought
1: that doll back. She brought that doll back. Yeah. Right.
4: Right. So I thought that that was really, really well played. Uh, Keisha Castle Hughes does the voice. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Ah, because I was like, this this actor is fantastic. Um, yeah. and then there was, of course, a lot, which we're gonna talk about later with the, the connected canon project, necromancer yeah. and all that stuff. The M count. I was like, Wow, huh? okay. Yeah. So yeah. there was it was a rich episode. This is one where I was like, I need a week.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely talk about the the canon and the connections to other stories, but yeah, stay and stay focus on the emotions. Like, you guys are saying great things. I love that. The great point about Nala Se seem, seeming so fragile. And, and you know, a great reminder that this whole situation is that Nala Say is aware that Omega has sort of strategic value in terms of she was cloned differently and we'll figure out why all that, you know, why the project Necromancer works with her, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but that she was that Omega was ultimately sought after and brought back as an emotional leverage point hmm. on Nala is great to get that reminder that she was there because Nala Se loved her. She's not a project. She's not magic blood. She's like a, a daughter, a granddaughter to yeah. Nala yeah. you know, is extremely powerful. The other moments I liked in shadow of Tantas that I wanted to point out is it was great comedy and a bunch kind of needed burst of, uh, of almost like, um, Han Solo, I don't know, I'll, I'll just figure it out, attitude mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, from Omega <laughs> when mm-hmm. she sheepishly admits to Crosshair. Kind of improvising. <laughs> that is not a plan. All great well, comedy. Man. But, you know, when you look at Shadows of Tantis compared to what we were talking about with uh, with Confined with the first episode, improvising mm-hmm. is also something the Empire is not good at. The Empire is rigid, controlling, yeah. so the idea that this was an episode about improvising, being clever, being more fluid, organic, you know it, it, I thought that was really great um yeah. other yeah. thing for me, which I think it's you know a big picture thing of of the show and of Star Wars, but I like that it was contained in one episode it's uh the contrast between the Emperor and Omega herself in this one episode yeah. was. We'll talk again about all of the canon stuff of it. But if indeed that Palpatine's coming here to check in on clones of myself, so if everybody else burns, I'm alive. That's the most important thing. So this is one episode where Omega's whole thing is, I care about as many people as possible. I need to get as many people as possible out alive and safe. In Mm -hmm. contrast with Palpatine saying, uh, his quote is, there's nothing of greater importance to secure the future of the Empire when he's looking at, in theory, a clone of himself, mm-hmm. is such a great contrast between the we and the I of Star mm-hmm. Wars, from mm-hmm. Omega cares about everyone to Palpatine. All of this is about me. Mm-hmm. Everything is about me. I mm-hmm. thought it was really powerful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Unlimited power. Unlimited me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you touch on ideas of uh, of... Trust, and uh, with that i, I felt uh, loyalty or, and identity all throughout all three episodes, I really felt like there was lots of uh questions of who can different characters trust? What do mm-hmm. they really want? Jennifer, did you feel a lot of that sense of uh, trust and loyalty and who who can people really trust in these three episodes?
4: Yeah, and I was worried for my little Omega. I'm like, she is too trusting ah is that (laughs) is that lorca hound gonna you know try and chomp on her like i didn't know and, and but that's the risk that you sometimes take Right. In, mm-hmm. in our lives is, is putting yourself out there, taking the risk because it feels very comfortable to not try and, and talk to people or to reach people who are, are different, have different views than us or mm-hmm. <laughs> different objectives than us. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a very a clear example here, but just in life, you know, and mm-hmm. she is always willing to take that risk. She's always willing to extend her hand and see what happens and mm-hmm. we see how it pays off tremendously by the end of the episodes
1: oh i think that's such a good point i love that star wars can be extremely heightened and fantastic and still feel really relatable and Mm -hmm. you're exactly right of uh omega reaching out to put a weird medical swab on a Lurka hound's arm does also feel like i should reach out to that friend i haven't talked to in 10 years (laughs) but they might bite me you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. right yeah
4: yeah
3: I've, I know you probably haven't sat and watched this with your uh, your oldest daughter yet, uh, Jen. But you had made a great point in in some of the pre uh, season three discussions we had about Bad Batch about how when you sat down with with, with your daughter, she she was almost saying. Omega's lines before Omega said them, and how the team here put together this wonderful character that does really represent a, a youthful look at the world. I'm so curious as to what she might do. She might be the one to be like, "Yeah, heal up that thing, uh, heal up that look oh, ahead." You 100%. know, uh, crosshair ain't going. In fact, I, you made me think that I, I think there's hope for Emory to have a redemption story. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't even think that coming out of last season, but the connections there and this question of Emory might have to answer: Who am I loyal to? What am I loyal mm-hmm. to? Uh, you, you make me think about that. So I'm. Curious, you have to report back when you sit down and watch it.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah, I think it's so interesting because instinctively I can already see her. You know, she loves animals, mm. and so she would sure. say something like, "Well, you've got to, you've got to help the the hound. <laughs> oh, you've got to save Emery. Oh, she can't mm. leave Crosshair behind." These are things that kids just naturally feel and believe, and it's such a stark contrast to us as adults, where it was like, eh. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I want to get bitten. I don't know. You know, that, that person, they're working for the for the bad guys. I think I'm just going to leave them mm. alone. I'm just going to escape, mm. right? It's-
5: yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I think it's like for, as an adult, you know, there's the fear because you've been burned before. So you know what it yeah. is to be burned, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. There's also that sort of fear of not learning your lesson, right? Of extending mm-hmm. yourself again after you've right. already yeah. took the risk, you've been bitten, and you're never going to take the risk again. And I think- the stuff with Crosshair in these three episodes, and seeing, you know, us asking where where is he really at? He, you know, he was super loyal. He just wanted to be a soldier, and that was his identity. Period. He didn't want to change. Loyal to the Empire until they made it absolutely impossible for him to be loyal. We saw his loyalty break, and he sent the message that Omega was in danger. So, so we know that he is sympathetic to Omega but there's so much in here about who does he think he is now sitting alone mm-hmm. in that cell being tortured he's telling all the yeah. you know given all the great like i've been burned it, the galaxy's a rough <laughs> place you know advice to her of not <laughs> don't don't ever fall dry. in love yeah don't fall in <laughs> love again don't, don't fall in love let me tell you you know don't don't go to any sort of car salesman and get your oil changed without a car expert there to verify it like yeah it's good it's 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 not cynic stuff a lot of it is yeah. realism true, stuff yeah. Yeah. But then for himself, that there's that great moment where he yells, I'm not them, when mm-hmm. she's trying to say you're my squad mate. You're just mm-hmm. like Hunter Record Tech mm-hmm. Echo. I'm mm-hmm. not them. And that one uh, moment where he uh, I forgot to write down the line, but he's kind of saying, like, I'm leave me here. Basically, I deserve it.
0: Yeah, it's I longer. Like, yes. Yeah. yes.
5: -hmm.
1: Thinking he deserves punishment on a moral, emotional level. How did, how did that hit you, Ken? Crosshair being this mix of like uncle with good realistic advice and then being like, I effed yeah. up, and maybe I deserve to just sit here and die.
3: Yeah, I've been there myself in my my real life, and it's beyond just simple self-loathing, which can be comical at times. No, it's deep. Mm-hmm. It's deep-seated. But I connected even some of the stuff that I think is at play in the sequel trilogy, specifically Rise of Skywalker. It's one of the things you and I talked a lot about over the years, uh, Joseph and, and Jen. I know you get it as well there, but this idea of, like, uh, Kylo feeling, uh, you know— I can't go back to being Ben. I can't go back to my mom because of the things I've done. I kind of would want to. He doesn't want to kill Han in the, in, in those moments. He chooses, ah, I have to go this direction. I, I uh, and, and and there's a little bit of crosshair. That's what I talked about the old wiring of, of, I just rewatched Outpost. He gets it. He gets it not because he suddenly was like, oh, the Empire is wrong. He gets it because he, he's like the Empire is letting this man die who I now have a connection to that before this episode started. I was like, leave the dead behind. Now he's connected, and connection—that's why it's so dangerous to an organization like the Empire. And, and I, so that's a we, the Star Wars redemption trope is 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 a wide umbrella, but uh, when you break it down to these kind of things, I love seeing it from the side of someone like Crosshair. It's like because Omega's like, you're going to have a redemption story, and he's like, I don't deserve it because <laughs> all this stuff is in my head, it's in front of me, and I can't uh, I can't see the hope. I can't see that flower in the concrete, kid.
1: Mm, mm, Flowers don't grow yeah. in
3: concrete, you know. <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> very, very dramatic, uh, you know, three-act play uh yeah. you know, performed in New York, written by Arthur Miller version of it, where Crosshair's like, flowers don't grow in concrete, yeah. uh, Jennifer, how do you feel about Crosshair's journey? Where do you think he's at w- with his own perception of himself?
4: I was like, I'll leave him we'll <laughs> leave him dead. <laughs> Let him him serve his time. Uh, No. um, yeah. And it was interesting because when when he did join her, right, and and they did go together, it was a first time where I was like, oh, I actually believe he's not going to hurt her or go Mm. against her, Mm. betray her, right? Mm. And Mm. I did see a, a changed person um and and also i was like well he probably will be willing to to sacrifice himself so it's yeah, you know, it's all right
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> omega yeah. can
4: still survive with his help
1: yeah yeah i mean i trust him i trust him with with omega i think he has her best interest in heart it, it's yeah. just sometimes like you know <laughs> I you know, I've talked to people in life like mentor figures who I like. I know you have my best r- best interest in heart at heart, and you just don't want me to get hurt, but your advice is terrible because it's basically <laughs> shut off all connections, do nothing, <laughs> don't put a toe out of line, because I'll cut it off. I'm like, thanks yeah. for the pep talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I thought was really interesting about Crosshair was the way he was so explicitly in that first episode, and then the third connected with Batcher of mm-hmm. I almost feel like Crosshair <laughs> sees himself as just a violent beast of like mm. it's not mm-hmm. good or bad it's just what I am I was made mm. to be this way and I'm nothing else you mm-hmm. put that medicine on me I'll bite you mm-hmm. I think that's what he wants to believe about himself that he's nothing more because for him change is terrifying yeah it's why he doesn't want to see the empire for what it is Because like I don't want to change I just want to be a soldier I don't want to be a mercenary I don't want to be a parent I don't want to look for a new identity like you are all are I just want to be mm. a soldier And I think now he's just like, I'm just a wounded, violent animal who's been caught in in the laws of the jungle have turned and I'm the one in the trap and that's what I am. And I think Omega pushing on him is like, there's a flower in your concrete, (laughs) Crosshair. You're more than just a violent animal, just like Batcher is more than just Mm -hmm. a violent animal. And the fact that they both uh, come around to enjoying life a little bit more in Omega's presence and then coming alive and helping her because of her insistent that you're more than a, a violent animal is, is it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we've mm-hmm. written a great Elton John song. Of, <laughs> the flowers
5: in
3: the concrete grow where the mm-hmm. sun don't shine. Um, I, I love the, the simple lurk just, a hound in the <laughs> moonlight. <laughs> uh, so we, let's, let's just do this four musical one day. Uh, yeah, it, it just, it, again, it's, it's, uh, I don't mean surface level as an insult to the story. It, it is what it's, it's the text, right? Not the subtext of of this is how Omega sees the world. Hurt lurka hound, hurt crosshair. One in the same to her. Yep. Mm. One in the same. And she she's going to make you take that medicine. And maybe
1: Emery. Maybe Emery.
3: And maybe Emery. We'll I absolutely agree with that. I go, and, and I love that you, we highlighted earlier, but the fact that in this particular episode, more than even Hunter and Wrecker, it's really highlighted that who Crosshair is, the greatest sharpshooter in the galaxy, is going. It's fading. And that's got to be hard to face, too. And I, yeah. I'm curious to see how that factors into his journey.
1: I, I, for me, I think he's got that sort of like, I'm done. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wrapping up, and I'll, I'll do what <laughs> I can. And like, But, you know, it reminded me, too, of another just, I think, amazing moment in, in the third episode that pays off a lot of what we, we've uh, dealt with. Uh, Crosshair just brutally kills people a lot and Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. it's pointed at of like Mm -hmm. i don't care i'm a soldier that's what i do the fact that he can see in that moment Emery's not coming with us but the kid believes there's hope in her or Mm -hmm. crosshair sees something some hope in her the fact that he switches from kill shot to stun Mm. and we get a camera shot of it you Mm -hmm. know because we were following the continuity of, at some point in the Bad Batch, they start only using the stun on other clones and, mm-hmm. and troopers when they can get away with it, right. and it goes back and forth in this episode. He could have crosshair a while ago, or if there wasn't a flower growing in his concrete, would have just put a, <laughs> a smoldering hole through her heart. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. switches to stun when he does not need to, and probably would not have before.
3: It literally right. goes back to the pilot episode, episode number one. Kill Caleb, dude. There's no canon. Jarrus the crosshair has his way, right? to where he is now you're absolutely right
1: absolutely yeah um how did you guys uh uh feel about the ideas of uh loyalty and trust and, and can we trust people and all that how, how did they present to you in paths unknown at all can it was that for you about really about the cadets being able to oh, trust yeah. the clones
3: yeah, it's a simple moment and they're not wrong, right? There's, and I love the record. Look like we're serving the Empire. Yeah, in a way because you got the gear. I don't care <laughs> if you painted orange on it. Like I don't know. Uh, and look where they got it. And And I, the, the, again, that line of I don't know where we fit anymore. It's it's hard to trust that way when you're in that mode and, and what you've gone through. And again, they took some – uh, initiative to escape right but look what they've escaped to and now they're living with slither vines around them and
5: mm-hmm. uh
3: it's a very realistic you know some of the stuff you were talking about earlier jen of, of the fear and the fear of wrecker and uh, yeah, i say it's earned it's earned it's you're saying joseph like go oh, jiffy lube will screw you if you take your car like <laughs> that's that's real that's real and, and so I, I i think it's uh I, I really fell through them and i'd love to see more of them i hope we don't see the last of that little gang
5: well,
1: I'm mm-hmm. sure they'll be brutally attacked on Pabu, and, we, and I look forward to that. <laughs> That's right there. Yep, yep, yep. You're oh right. boy, Taking them to Pabu. <laughs> what I thought was really great about it is, I I, I totally agree with uh, you know mm. they're sort of uh, they're like Omega. They're these younger mm. figures who are going to learn from the the older ones, and then they could go cynical and just steal the ship and and mm. look out for number one, uh, like like the, the mm. Palpatine of it all, um, or they could trust that connection and saving the others will will build. So th- there's definitely them choosing their identity, choosing can we trust the Bad Batch. But after so much storytelling in the Bad Batch previous seasons, I thought it was great to see Hunter's absolute clarity. Because yeah. Hunter goes back and forth about, are we gonna be mercenaries? Are we gonna put family first? What do we actually want? Uh, what, what is our even real literal noun? Uh, can we still be soldiers? Um, at the end of the second season, they come to the conclusion that they're going to stay on Pabu, but then they, they risk their lives to res- rescue Crosshair, and they lose mm-hmm. tech and all that. But when the cadets present him with, we're cadets without an army. I don't know where we fit anymore. Mm-hmm. It's basically that that kid looking up at, Cross, at Hunter and saying, I'm where you were at the beginning of the show Bad Batch.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and instead mm-hmm. of Hunter saying, yep, it's hard... <laughs> Uh, He's he's so clear. He says you have time to figure it out. Make your own path. Be something other than a soldier. Yeah. Uh, He also says they're very clear on their mission of get their family back together. But that's another thing to me that just really uh, makes me appreciate this arc over these three seasons of. Mm -hmm. Not that we don't have more storytelling for Hunter and Record. They won't go through things, but they feel like they're adults. They're complete, and now their job is to give the lessons they've learned to the younger generation.
5: Yeah. Wonderful.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. How did you feel about the cadet storyline, Jennifer?
4: I think that the reason why they were willing to trust them is not because uh, they're saying, uh, you know, trust us. We, we, you know, we have your best interests at hand, right? They're not mm-hmm. going to tell. They're modeling the behavior. Hunter and Wrecker are modeling that behavior. They are, they are talking about their objective and wanting to keep the family together. And these cadets are are seeing that and and seeing that behavior as opposed to being told this is what you do. They're seeing mm-hmm. it, and it's the best way for for kids to learn is by seeing the adults in their life, modeling that behavior and following through on their actions. And that's ultimately what makes them trust them. Not just them saying, Hey, you can trust this kid, you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hey kids. Yeah. It's it's modeling behavior. And I also, uh, here I'll, I'll go out on my uh, wild uh, political thread. I think this is an episode about voting <laughs> 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 where basically yeah. uh, mock says, uh, it doesn't work The mm-hmm. going, going to that machine to get that information is death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Hey, it might've been unless Mox showed up to also vote. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. It's it, it, this great Star Wars idea of, yep, it might be impossible for just two or three people to do, but what if six people did it? What if I got past my cynicism and said, you know, there are more of us, there are more of us. Mm-hmm. And that makes a difference. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, I
3: think uh, you could pull that thread and you'd be uh, you'd be onto something there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, did you feel uh, any other have any other thoughts about the I, these ideas of uh, trust and loyalty and identity in the third episode in Shadow of Tantist? Uh, did you feel it was mostly about the, the payoff of o- Omega's actions?
4: Yeah, absolutely, and it, it it's what makes this show so great is they take their time building to it. It never mm-hmm. feels forced. It never feels con- convenient. It all the seeds have been planted, and I and I kind of figured that Bachelor, would come around right that's a very common Mm -hmm. story that you see in a lot of kids media especially um Mm -hmm. but how they did it was in in a really unique way so much so that i was really worried for Batcher's safety as i said i'm like oh Batcher's a goner they're gonna kill off Batcher. really you know bring make me bring out my tissue um (sighs) but yeah i think that this is the slow burn and the, the the fact that they're willing to take their time Telling these stories, it just pays off, and it's why these these episodes are so emotional, and they have mm-hmm. so much weight to each episode, more so than some of the live action stuff.
1: <laughs> what you
4: uh, <Who> said that?
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I crosshair stole the mic from Jen for just a second. <laughs> Get back cynical. in your
4: cell! Get yeah. back in your cell! <laughs> no,
1: no, I mean, I, 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 I think we all uh, try, try to tread carefully and we always try to respect that, that different fans love things differently um, but I think also it's it's fine for us to be honest sometimes that for us, some shows are more effective on an emotional mm-hmm. level and I think that's what we're getting at for Bad Matches It's mm-hmm. like a lot of this is more effective uh for me on an emotional level. Um,
4: It's like music, right? Like mm -hmm. when you're sometimes like, I want to just listen to pop music. I want to listen to an old Britney song, but where Mm. I am right now in my life, I kind of want more Grateful Dead and more like you know tw- twenty three minute Dark Star for, from the live album. That's just yeah. kind of where I am. I'm more in a mm-hmm. vibe situation where I want to sit yeah. down and get immersed and just live with these with these characters. I don't mm-hmm. need to check off the boxes, and that's just mm-hmm. where I am. I love all Star Wars shows, but The Bad Batch for me right now is giving me kind of what I'm what I'm looking for.
1: I agree so- because I think it it manages to tell that story of hope. Uh, by having so much opposition and I always like stories that are ultimately hopeful where that's the lesson mm-hmm. but there is a realistic amount of darkness so it doesn't feel pat or overly simplified, right? Like mm-hmm. In some ways, what we keep talking about the lessons of these episodes is be nice to people, help animals and everything will work out that is the lesson, but look at the amount of horror mm-hmm. and this win it's not even a win, right? That there's this great right. emotional complexity to your, your fist pumping for Omega and Crosshair for their improvisation and their teamwork and all these morals for the, to pay off. And it kind of does, but unless we hadn't discovered that Omega has just cold value for a selfish ain't, ain't, you know, end, mm-hmm. they probably would have been shot out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And that level of darkness makes the hope in the humanity how just like cruel and thick and brutal the concrete is makes the flower have its its value to me mm. and and for me that's the vibe that is speaking to me in bad batch
3: it's it's a nice jam song at a festival is that what you're saying Jen?
1: <laughs>
4: exactly that's exactly what i'm saying i just want to jam out
1: <laughs> uh any other uh big thematic thoughts from you ken no,
3: no, I think we really hit it and, and, and for me, like I said, I was uh, – the overall theme of just uh, driving the point home of where the Empire is. Where we are in the Star Wars storyline is, is not just about the canon um, bits on, on, on a map, which I enjoy and, and I always want to say are part of my experience, but just kind of uh, breaking it down and, and as simple as uh, – as batcha and crosshair being in- incarcerated as the galaxy is 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 becoming and has been becoming. This this leads to things that come later on. I can almost imagine right now another part of the galaxy, Luthens going, This ain't right. That Nemec's starting to write something down, young Nemec. Uh-oh. that that, that parrot and Mon Mothmo, that a young Leia's looking out here and, and she, you know, she's still very young, I get. But you know, that it's all Bail Organa is 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 starting to see we we've got to do more and it, it, it all is the, one of the big successes of this series to really dive into this era in time and this this is a great start to the season for that.
1: I agree. I think it's taken this great uh, tour uh, as we've described it as like it's a tour of the horror of the empire and we're seeing mm-hmm. right away when they when they come in the uh, you know restrictive laws about identity and the you know brutal punishment of the separatists and it escalates and it escalates and it escalates. Where, where we get to see through the eyes of this child Omega the true horror of the Empire. Like, if mm. if you still have any friends in your life who are like, I got a hot Star Wars take, the Empire's actually the good guys. You can sit them down and watch Bad Batch. <laughs>
5: <Huh>. <laughs> oh, my
1: Bad God. Batch slowly breaks it down for you to the point where we get to mm-hmm. Palpatine working on a project to keep himself alive forever, no matter what, unnatural in abomination, the epitome of selfishness. And that's the heart of what the empire is. And that's to me, the why of all the fun canon stuff that we're going to talk about in a minute is, yeah. is that's the heart of what the empire is. And that's what, uh, Leah needs to fight against. That's what the water needs to drip against, you know? Yeah. yeah. Any other big, uh, thematic thoughts from you, Jennifer?
4: No, except I'm on Andor season two now. <laughs> Thanks to Brandon bringing all those characters back. I'm like, oh, yeah, except for R.I.P. Nemec. Um, but yeah.
3: <laughs> his, his words live on.
4: His words Whoa. live on. Now that's Hopefully, we'll get action. to see,
1: uh, yeah, Omega mm-hmm. reading his journal someday. Uh, <laughs> oh who knows? My gosh. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll come back to I think Emery more and talk more about her in in future episodes. That was the last thing I had on, on my list. Is there's so much uh, so many ideas of uh, trust and identity, and em- Emery really feeling like she is up for grabs is uh, I think a mm-hmm. great place to leave these uh, three episodes. We're going to take a quick break, and then we are going to be back to discuss some of those canon connections to other stories and what they mean and why why we value them and some fun moments of comedy and action. All that in just a moment.
0: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim?
1: Here to discuss Bad Batch Season 3, the first three episodes, and we're going to get into some of the canon connections. Now, um, we don't super scrub for, like, every tiny little uh, background thing. Uh, Our our friends Alex and Molly Damon do a fabulous job of that at Star Wars Explained, so we always suggest people check out their videos. Uh, But there's some, like, eh, not particularly uh, subtle (laughs) connections to big Star Wars storytelling, and I think the main thing we're going to talk about here is Project Necromancer. Uh, The business going on here on Mount Tantist is uh, trying to mix a little bit of someone's blood with uh, samples of blood from the clones to create a clone that has an M count that matches uh, the the, uh, little bit of blood drops being mixed. Uh, The Empire seeks the reproduction of a genetic M uh, count is what is literally said. Uh, There is uh, clear here connections to other uh, bits of storytelling in Star Wars. Uh, We we heard the term Project Necromancer in an episode of of The Mandalorian when we have the meeting uh, between the Imperial Remnants. Uh, Captain Pellian says, Grand Admiral Admiral Thrawn's return will herald in the reemergence of our military and provide Commandant Hux enough time to deliver on Project Necromancer. So whatever else happens in Bad Batch season three, apparently Project Necromancer is going to have a little bit of setback <laughs> because there are, you know, yeah, uh, there's a good amount of time still between still uh, th- this Project Necromancer and that. Hux is still working on one <laughs> after the events of the Galactic <laughs> Civil War, so in right. building to, of course, uh, uh, rise of Skywalker and uh, in Palpatine's successful uh, survival, continuing survival. Anyway, mm-hmm. plenty to talk about there. Um, there's also the connections to to Gideon's plan in the Mandalorian arc that uh, we watched the entire story of the Mandalorian with uh, Grogu being needed and the hints you know, being slowly dropped. And then what we eventually did discover in that final episodes of season three of the Mandalorian is that Gideon was wanting Grogu's blood to mix with his own clones to hopefully give those clones force powers, which kind of seems like what, is being worked on here in Bad Batch. Uh, this is uh, what um, Gideon says in that episode of Mandalorian. My clones were finally going to be perfect, the best parts of me, but improved by adding the one thing I never had the force. I was isolating the potential to wield the force and incorporating it into an unstoppable army. And you smothered them before they could draw their first breath. That line wasn't really relevant to our conversation, but fun. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but I thought it's interesting that it's a very similar thing that he's up to. So uh, I got a couple of specific questions, but I just want to start with the big picture. Ken, how are you, how are you feeling about all this? How are you responding as a fan to connecting the threads to Palpatine's survival and, and on the way going through Mandalorian?
3: I look I definitely like it I, I'm not anti-connection I, I think I'm obviously more driven and, and interested in the why and we've talked and discussed here Gideon's why was selfishness for himself not for a greater cause or greater empire uh, for himself and, and Palpatine's is in the same you know, arena uh, he's not doing this for the good of others he's doing this for the good of themselves um, I, I do like I, I still think there's it's you know you use another words in that m count and i do want to get a t-shirt that says you know save mid- midichlorians you cowards but uh uh there's there's those con- there's, those those fun morsels and connections are there you mentioned them in, in the other properties uh, i'm still waiting for a curveball and i'm excited for some sort of curveball as to what this might be i don't think those specimens could they be clones of clones of sheev could one of them have been grogu all those kind of things i've already seen some of the excitement for it and i'm glad people are excited for it is what i'll say i just can't wait to dive into the why of, of, of palpatine's specific plan
1: mm-hmm. jennifer what's your big picture reaction to the this project necromancer through line across all this star wars storytelling
4: It was a moment where I went, oh, this is connected to the larger story, but I kind of just want to live here. I want to just see it unfold because then when I started to take down my notes, I'm like, okay. All right. Let's spread out the chart here and
5: look at the timeline.
4: Right. And I'm like, oh God, then that starts to feel like homework. And that to me can be fun when I have the time to like digest all of that (laughs) business. This was very fast. I was just like, I'm just going to let it unfold. I'm just going to, we'll, we'll see what happens next week on the bad Mm -hmm. batch. Right. That's where I'm okay with just letting it play out. Cause then I'm going to start to do my own headcanon, have expectations. And that's when I get into dangerous territory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I have had some, some ideas and predictions that we'll talk about, and I want to be willing to let them go and release them and enjoy the story uh, that we're presented with. I enjoyed this project necromancer thing from, from two perspectives. One is just what you're saying, Jennifer, what's the story we're in? And, and if this is the first Star Wars I saw, what would be the power and the value of it? Mm-hmm. And to me, that is so about like Palpatine is just this contrast to mm-hmm. Omega. And you see him just surrounded by might and power and darkness and selfishness. And that's contrasted by like this one young child who just keeps saying nope to him in, in yeah. these little ways. And it's like, that's the the power of, palpatine's presence and if he is indeed you know trying to clone himself with the the idea in mind of like eventually this body will die and i need another one to survive forever if that is the plan it's such a a a great picture of selfishness in contrast to Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. so that's like all the value of right right now and all these people being made to suffer all of our bad batch friends being made to suffer for this one dude um but then in terms of like enjoying the canon enjoying the larger storytelling What I enjoy about it is, A, I just like the creepy story. I I love horror in Star Wars, so I love that Mm -hmm. there's something literally called Project Necromancer, and this is just straight-up horror stuff. Mm. Uh, But there's this tradition in Star Wars of sort of yes-anding in an improv way of something gets thrown out, and then it just gets built on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over the years... Lucas himself did it, right? He, he'll he give kind of confusing interviews where he says, I always meant to do that. And some things he clearly <laughs> did. And other things he's clearly like, wait, <laughs> I didn't mean that. But what if we, you know what? Molly's is back. Screw it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And this one idea becomes another idea. And the, the storytelling grows and grows on itself. And I really like Project Necromancer from that perspective, from okay, well, threads of this have been floating around Star Wars forever, but then there's the, you know, major decision to go this direction in in Rise of Skywalker, of Palpatine survived, and it's got something to do with dark science and cloning. Okay, well, let's let's start not fixing that story. I don't like that attitude myself. Let's not fix this. Let's not make this better, but let's yes and mm-hmm. the ideas from this one part of Star Wars storytelling and say, how could that fit into other parts of star wars storytelling in in we get the whole mandalorian arc we get what's going on with palpatine the, the yes and perspective is the most interesting to me about this whole big connected story rather than being in a rush to fill in timelines and be correct on guessing games
3: yeah yeah at the risk of sounding grumpy that's why i've 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 You know, disconnected from a lot of uh, approaches and channels. Even a job I had last year was the channel that was nothing more than we know Star Wars because we're able to point at things and go, "That's that." And and I just I I don't want to stop there. And and Mm -hmm. I think uh, I'm excited for these uh, connections. Excited for the answer. I was hoping that camera was gonna flip around from Hemlock and reveal either maybe Grogu going Mm. or someone else or Quinlan Vos. I don't know. There's or you know, Palpatine's been trying to take force sensitive kids his entire existence. Um, mm-hmm. so all of it makes sense. I'm excited to see that, uh, to, to, yeah, to, to, to work back. And yeah, I'm with you too. I, I think I, I look at, uh, Rise of Skywalker, Palpatine's return, having so much to do with the idea of not letting go and the dark side, not letting go versus what we see with Luke or what we see with Leia and, and the bigger things, but it also certainly connects with, uh, old Sheev and his lifelong obsession with power. So, uh, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's in a good spot. I I like to hear the M count of the necromancer and all that stuff kind of show up here.
1: Yeah. The M count, I'm really torn on because I'm in general like, please say it. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it also feels right. It sounds more scientific. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's what they say, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. M count, and it feels like <laughs> it feels like very few people, even within Mount Tantis, are privy to what is this actually all for. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. I, I really did like that clarity. We'll talk about it more that they got a bunch of other projects going on.
5: Right. That probably other yes.
1: scientists are more yes. in charge of in Hemlock's like behind eight thousand lasers that will cut you into pieces.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Myself, Nala say, and that's about it. No, we really got a cupboard of you know baby Palpatines or whatever it is is in there. <laughs> you know that that we're cooking up the M count makes sense from that of like somebody sees a report of M count and is, or somebody else sees a midi chlorine count and goes, let me Google in Star Wars land whatever that yeah. is. uh yeah. Let me let me Google midi-chlorian what's this about then i also Does, have it, it, yeah go ahead no i just now
3: i have an image of little cabbage patch Palpatines and little black diapers <laughs> robes you
4: know. i like it
1: yeah <laughs> lightning coming out of everywhere um coming out of his little diapers um yeah it, it just i like that the story in star wars has been even even palpatine with his ability to just twist things and gamify things Even he's smart enough to be like, let's let's keep the evil sorcerer thing a little quiet. (laughs) Only very few people can know that I am totally an evil sorcerer who never wants to die. That's not a thing that I'm (laughs) going to even try to put out in the public and spin. You know, yeah. this yeah. is for a contained group of people to know about.
3: I, I, I really I love it as as it rolls out in in the life and times of of Sheev Palpatine. That you know, even going to the aftermath where he's got the contingency plan and he's got Sentinel droids, he's got gallius rex and he's got a planet that he's digging into. And he's like, "That's over there." And he he probably lies to everyone else, and he's just like, "Oh, maybe Tarkin knows. Hemlock only knows this little section." And it's kind of a a, 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 a deadly but interesting quirk of Palpatine that he's just got like little little secret uh, cabinets in his soul that he's like hiding little experiments that are of a dark nature.
1: Remember the various... Uh, yeah. You remember the social media groups? Like, I think... Uh, I can't remember. It was the Google one. I can't even remember what it was called. Google Plus? Who was yes. like trying to get you yes. to put your friends in circles? Yep. Yep. And I was yep. like, Oh, yep. yes. well, that's just an invitation to accidentally send the wrong snarky <laughs> whisper behind this friend's back to the mm. wrong circle. I think <laughs> I think Felveden's got lots of tight little <laughs> Google circles, right?
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> his close friends on his instagram which i've seen yeah. some celebrities accidentally share things on their instagram story that were meant for close friends yeah. got released to the public
1: mm-hmm. I like it. and and that's why it's m <laughs> count not midichlorian count is our our, our head cannon argument here <laughs> um, on and, course <laughs>
3: yeah, just like that. and it's keeping it very star wars of like how do we hide something kind of out in the open m yeah. count Skywalker's kid like it's okay <laughs> it's okay yesterday.
1: so this is uh, this is kind of a, a canon what if uh, that I'm curious about your, your feelings on Jennifer so uh, right now the plot in this story we're watching right now is that however Omega was cloned whatever is different about her allows this experiment to take a step forward and maybe can present a, a stable clone that has a high M count and has a connection to the force if it ends up being the long-term story is that Omega's blood is what allows Palpatine to successfully clone himself. There's a world where it is Omega's blood that allows Palpatine to clone Dathan, Mm -hmm. Ray's father. Mm -hmm. So is there a world where we're going to be celebrating Omega is from a certain point of view, Ray's grandmother. (laughs) And if so, how would you feel about that?
4: this is where I was this morning with my little spreadsheet uh, because I'm like <laughs> connecting the dots. We right. And I'm spreadsheet. like, Oh no, <laughs> I mean, it was from my imaginary spreadsheet, <laughs> but in my imaginary spreadsheet, I was like, Holy, Holy Sith. She is the grandmother of Ray mm. and I kind of like it. I don't mm. know. It makes me feel a little bit more Comforted than thinking about the Palpatine aspect of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, this yeah. I can get behind. The Palpatine stuff I've always had a kind of a problem with. I don't know. I think it's just like my spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't like him. I don't like the guy. No, so
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't like the guy. Imagine if no, I'm. Sure I don't I like
4: the guy, but he's got some problems. Uh, made some bad choices. No, but and then it also made me think: Could we see Omega in live action? This is where I'm headed. This is what mm-hmm. I
1: want. Omega's, uh, well, the whole Bad Batch is fate, but Omega in particular because she's young and because this is a story of her uh, classic Star Wars coming of age story, where are we going to leave her? How is she going to have an impact is, you know, a uh, big question. Yeah.
3: And yeah. look, I'll say Ray when we meet her, is, is a flower growing in the, in the Jakku concrete uh, mm-hmm. landscape there. So mm-hmm. there's some emotional connections.
1: Yeah, there's absolutely yeah. some emotional connection. And we'll, yeah. we'll wait and see how, how it all plays out. I'm not, you know, rushing out and saying, this is uh, Star Wars Reveals yeah. Omega. Yeah. That yeah. article is probably going to be out by the time we're done recording. Star Wars Reveals Omega is Ray's grandmother. Yeah. I want
4: that on yeah. a t-shirt. Omega yeah. is Ray's grandmother.
1: <laughs>
4: if you know, we'll you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so I, I want to talk about this larger sort of uh, uh, plan. Um, so there's the... the um, the conversation with uh, Hemlock and Palpatine, obviously Palpatine is there to see this secret project, Project Necromancer, that's everything to him, everything to the Empire. Uh, but Hemlock says uh, the exotic matter facilities have been expanded, mm-hmm. providing uh, alteration and testing of much larger assets. And Palpatine's like, good, I have need of grand design. So to me, it sounds like there's other experiments going on. We know they're still working with Zillow Beast uh, business. You know, I kind of felt like the lurker beasts aren't just guards. That there's some amount of experimenting going on with them. I I, mm-hmm. I, I, this could be entirely wrong, but I got the vibe that there's something in the food and mm-hmm. that's mm. controlling them, changing them, that kind of thing. Uh, how do you guys feel about the the clarity of Project Necromancer is what Palpatine cares about versus could the season deal with any sort of other larger experiment that is going on on, on Mount Tantis? Mm. Hmm. Jennifer, what are your thoughts there?
4: I think it could be certainly a, a B story or maybe dev- an episode devoted to that. Because I think spending the whole time on Project Necromancer, then it feels like it feels like. A, it feels like too much connectedness that's when mm-hmm. i start asking some questions about like timeline wise uh well we know it's got to fail uh something can't work right right so i think having mm-hmm. this, or seeing these other projects i think is is interesting to me i want to know what what are they doing and how are they doing it how are they controlling these these creatures or beasts or whatever they're doing
1: mm-hmm. yeah I, I think i want to really uh own that on a uh, couple of our Bad Batch uh, broadcasts. I've been real hot and bothered about the idea that, yep, Project Necromancer will probably be touched on. But I was uh, really uh, taken with the idea from some of Hemlock's dialogue in the end of season two, talking about using the uh, Caminoan technology to ensure a pacified, you know, just oh, society. Really? Mm Uh, and and kind of this idea of like, Ooh, are they going to a place where it it isn't just about cloning Palpatine that there is a concern of, well, the clones, uh, with, uh, uh, the inhibitor chip were a great experiment in controlling autonomy and getting, Mm -hmm. getting people to believe things. And wouldn't it be great if we could work out that inhibitor chip technology and fly a ship over Alderaan and Mm -hmm. turn inhibitor chips into Wi-Fi and now Bale thinks Palpatine's the greatest guy ever. I was curious to see if they go in any sort of direction like that with a, a plan about that's about agency and taking everybody's away because the story has so much been about the clones going, Mm -hmm. no, we have a agency. Even Mm -hmm. had it in the, in the, um, in the previously on with Cody saying that we choose that's Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, clones choose. We're individuals. That's where we are. Um, I think for me, what I want to let that go if that's clearly like Project Necromancer is the focus, that's great. But what it leads me to think about is I want a victory for the Bad Batch, for Omega, and also for the clones as a whole. Mm -hmm. So whether it's they stop some other big plan coming out of Mount Tantis, or they just set Project Necromancer back, I really want whatever's happening on Mount Tantis to be foiled by uh the clones ken how do you feel about about like the narrative needs of whatever the plan is
3: yeah, that's, I was with you on, on when you initially said that, and, and we've brought it back in uh, getting ready for season three of, of, of just thematically. I want something that connects to the the, the heart of the the show and, and the plight of the clones and the future of the clones is definitely part of that. And 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 we got three seasons to wrap up the adventures of Bad Batch. I'd love to have in that what you describe as a win, the victory for them over this. Obviously, it could still happen, and obviously, I think we're going to find out a little bit more what this means. Uh, and and if it's just simply is you know they don't want Omega to be part of that and and. And that's uh, uh, where the all, all, all roads lead to. I think I'd be excited uh, by that as well. Um, but uh, yeah it, it, it's what I do like about it is it speaks to right now at least what potentially is on the plate is it does speak to it is truly about Palpatine also believing in his own power, not just wanting to keep it, but maybe he can you know it's not the he needs chemtrails dropping you know fluoride into the water or something to control, control the masses. it is I can do this myself. I just need myself. Could be,
1: mm-hmm. could be. Yeah. How, how do you feel uh, about the clones kind of having a win by the end of the, sh- the story, Jennifer?
4: I think it's, it's crucial. I mean, they, they can't end it without that. That'd be so horrible, a horrible way to end the, the show. Um, but I think that I was surprised that they introduced the project Necromancer and the Palpatine showed up so early on mm-hmm. this season. Mm-hmm. I was expecting him to show up later on. So I think that it will be interesting. I do think like I mentioned, we're going to see these kind of side projects. Necromancer will still be kind of going on in the background. It will be building up. There'll be a lot of of failures until the very end where our Bad Batchers triumph, ultimately.
1: Yeah. I think for me, you know, I I love all the storytelling that's happened, so I absolutely trust uh, whatever happens. I, I think for me, if it is setting Project Necromancer back, I'm fine with that because I, I think more than anything what i want is for them to have some sort of agency so it seems like project necromancer probably does get set back in terms of just timeline stuff yeah and the 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 fact that pershing is still working at kind of perfecting it he needs more time with grogu it's not like he's just like yeah this is well-known science and it's yeah, yeah. you know and it's been well recorded and it's easily mm. accessible in the mandalorian era many years later people are still trying to to you know get this figured out. So for me, it it would be a fine victory if the clones basically took out Tantus and set the project back. I think what I want is this has been a story about the bad batch. So I really want to know exactly what happens with those clones, but with having Rex there, having Cody there, having echo make the argument that our mission should be, we can't take the empire out yet, but our mission should be we, the clones matter and we're going to go rescue all of our brothers and we're going to find a happier life for our brothers. I think because the scope has been blown up to the fate of the clones that I want a really happy ending. Not a happy ending. Uh, I want a victory for the clones to sort of retire on mm. as yes. a whole. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, like and this is the last the big story, right? Mm-hmm. Of the clones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously we know some of them end up, you know, homeless, uh, mm-hmm. asking mm-hmm. Kenobi for money. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, a tragedy and, and all that. Uh, we know mm-hmm. Rex goes on, but I, I want an ending of the overall story. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. All right. Any other thoughts about Project Necromancer or, or other business on Mount Tantas?
3: No, I'm excited for it. I, again, love that Palpatine has a lot. I, I love that Palpatine flew all that way for like a five-second business meeting. <laughs> and, didn't he, and And leaves and doesn't say Can we, let's have lunch, doesn't have a hemlock uh, you know, take him to dinner, nothing he's just
1: in and out, in and out the whole <laughs> thing has this energy of nobody was prepared for it, like Palpatine yeah. just woke up and he's like, I want to see them clones
5: mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: Everyone mm-hmm. just had to hustle to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, other bits of little canon business. Uh, Roland Rand uh, and the, mm-hmm. the Deberonians and the Pikes and all that business uh, yeah. was from that first season episode uh, called Infested. Uh, what, what did you guys think of... Uh, obviously, there was a plot point there of of Hunter and Wrecker tracking down information, but did you feel like these were characters that we might be spending more time with and, and where things are at with criminal syndicates in this era? Ken? It's possible.
3: It, may, it reminded me of, you know, that stuff is still going on, it's still going strong. We know we got Fennec Shand and Cad Bane on the way, so there's mm-hmm. something to it. And yeah, anytime, uh, you know, uh, Lady Duran, Roland Duran the, and the pikes involved, you know, it's uh, got deeper ramifications. So it could just be, like I said, part of a, a fun way to get a plot point across. But I don't think we're we're definitely not done with the Star Wars underworld here.
1: Yeah. Uh, That that scene with the bridge was just so great and and palpable too, of just like you are literally standing on something that can disappear any second. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jennifer, how did you feel about the appearance of the crime syndicate subplot and whether that might continue a bit?
4: I loved it because it was Angelica Houston. I -hmm. was, I got really distracted. I'm like, I know that voice incredibly well. I had to Google it. I'm like, ah, Angelica Houston, which makes me think you have Angelica Houston. You're going to have her to bring her back. You can't just use her that sparingly, like right? It, I mean, come on, come it on! It did Jeez. feel like they were right.
1: putting her over as a character, right? To be like, yeah. she's a power player, she's a threat, she's someone who's going to mm-hmm. be an ally or a or a problem for our heroes, yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
3: I yeah, yeah. Yeah, love yeah, I was wondering too, like you know, I know they uh, that team brought her in for uh, Star Wars uh, Visions Volume Two. Uh, someone just go, hey, could you mind coming down the hall recording some other lines? <laughs> like,
4: Seriously.
1: <laughs> That's, That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Uh last bit of canon stuff for me the the it was great to see that the slither vine beast that they're experimenting with uh, ended up having kind of a relation to uh, the sarlacc in the uh, vixus from Umbara that we see in the clone wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars just loves uh our organic tentacle things that mm-hmm. <laughs> got a big yeah. creepy mouth. Yep. Uh yep. Can uh, other than being utterly disturbed by uh, the slither vine beast any other thoughts?
3: Uh, yeah, completely. Absurd. Jen, you said earlier, it reminded me a lot of the Upside Down and Stranger Things uh, season one. And I was I was terrified of that stuff. I had to watch it with the lights on at two o'clock. And I say I get easily scared of things. <laughs> and it made me think if I, you know, we sometimes get asked that question on uh, Force Center live chats or something like if you were if you were in the world, what would you be? I'm like, I would be working at Dexter's Diner and Corson because there's no Slither vines or anything like that out in the world. No, no great moths coming to get me other than something cooking in Dexter soups.
1: Yeah, Jennifer, did you uh, like this little vine having any sort of uh, relation to previous beasts or, or uh, did you want it to be more unique or what were your thoughts?
4: Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I, I just loved all of that because it was terrifying. And again, I was like, oh, this is a animated show, but I'm, I am was actually a little nervous. Um, so yeah, uh, give me more, give me more.
1: A very, it, a Very effectively creepy rather than just a beast of like, it's everywhere, and it was cruelly mutated,
5: yeah, <laughs> you
1: know, and the way the kids sell it is great, I'm like it's not mm-hmm. agitated yet, like it isn't yeah um, yeah, final thing that I wrote down is just the 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 emperor's royal guard really popped for me, uh seeing yeah. those classic uh that classic look, and I had that brief you know hope was like, is this the time that in uh you know on screen Star Wars, we really see <laughs> an emperor's royal guard have to fight, yeah, yeah, I agree, I'm still hopeful for that, yeah. Uh, Any other Canon thoughts?
3: Uh, I just want to, I love, yeah, I was highlighting, um, you got Emperor, we've seen it before, but we've got the Emperor. You got Hemlock, a new villain. You got the Royal Guards. You got Clone Commanders from like video games. You got Clones. Mm-hmm. You got old, you got prequel uh, Star Wars mixing with the uh, original trilogy. W- what a wonderful just tableau of, of a lot of different areas, including now uh, Project Necromancer perhaps taking us forward to to TV, mm-hmm. to streaming into the sequel trilogy. So it was a lot of fun there. Final big note for me I do love the line, and we shall soon see if the Emperor is as understanding as I am. Uh, which makes me think of the emperor is not as forgiving as I am. And I just love that maybe Palpatine even has this as a, as a written rule for his leaders that always, you know, make them wonder if I have any empathy, you know, just oh, you got to do that. Co- uh, yeah, I don't know. The emperor isn't as nice as I am. Just like, use it, use it as a sense of power. I love, I love the
1: thought of fun. it, it is this, I, I, he must have like this weird good cop, bad cop yeah. seminars. Like, <laughs> treat them as awful as you can imagine and then float the idea that you're nicer than me. That'll keep them in line. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> any other canon thoughts, Jennifer?
4: No, no. I loved it all.
1: Excellent. Uh, we always like to celebrate not only the big ideas of Star Wars, but just the fun stuff, the action, the comedy uh, that uh, keeps us all coming back as well. So, Ken, did you have any favorite action moments? in these three episodes. Sure. Uh,
3: little Yeah. A lot of action all the way through but I like to focus on some little things. There was, uh, you know, I say, now let's say tossing the blood away, discarding it is a bit of action. It's heroic action needed. Mm. So I enjoyed that. Uh, we can talk more about it, but Omega stealing the pad, crushing what I called the jerk droid uh, <laughs> was a lot of fun for me too.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, there wasn't a lot of very traditional star Wars action yeah, yeah. in that first episode, which I'm fine with because it's the tension builds up to those moments of action and i don't need a big set piece like it's a it's a movie mm-hmm. uh, I, the the dropping the box on on jerk droid kx 91 was great because it surprised me i thought she was going to release the hounds
3: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: uh so it was a good surprise to have the classic star wars move of uh crush a droid with a large object from above uh I think it would be proud, jennifer do you have uh some action moments from any of the episodes that you enjoyed
4: My favorite is, is not really action, but is more tension, which is her stealing the, like I said, the hay or straw, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, wondering what, what is she up to? And just Mm -hmm. really, you know, when she, she puts that like chicken nugget thing, like in her mouth and lifting her little box or little toolbox thing. I just thought that was so, Oh, what a reveal it's for her doll. And all this suspense that I had built up in my mind was something that was so tender. Brilliant.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, can I just and I related up? to yeah. go ahead, again.
3: No, 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 no. Go, go. Big thought there.
1: I was just going to say I really uh, related to how she needed to adjust the ear because uh, my mm-hmm. Indiana Jones action figure kept falling over last night and I had to really spend a lot of time adjusting his leg, so I felt just like Omega. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, that was very important, Ken. What, what do you have to say?
3: <laughs> no, earlier in the show, Jed, you talked about something that we we've definitely celebrate on Bad Batch of just like the, the animation, not just beautiful, but you're able to do a lot more and this is the advancement of technology, which is sometimes scary with AI being what it is. Where will we be? But uh, that, I was trying to think while you were talking, I was like, there's one moment that was just like yeah god i love this just in terms of acting and it's that it's her with the chicken chicken nugget her mouth and just kind of it just was so it's beyond anything that i grew up with thinking animation was and and i love 2d and i love the classic stuff and i love the the progression of, of of this art form uh it was a great little moment for
1: all that yeah yeah absolutely um for me some other action moments in the in the other episodes uh you mentioned it ken but the uh the The slither vine attack, the initial one, is like that's just some great Star Wars action, and I love it. Anytime mm-hmm. that the uh, hunter or wrecker uses their knives, uh, but that moment where what looked like it's just this big flapping tentacle became this little this little mm-hmm. guy with legs and nothing mm-hmm. but legs and teeth,
5: mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: it is what creeps me out about you know our actual you know organic world when you watch mm-hmm. like you know a a Planet Earth special and you learn about zombie ants with fungus growing out of their dead bodies and animating oh, them yeah. and like. Yep, that's that vibe. Super creepy. Yep. Love yep. it.
5: It's
3: also why you um, don't go in water. Don't go in water unless you can see the bottom, kids. Well, that's <laughs> my lesson. Yes. yes.
1: Uh, also, uh, another thing to do uh, be careful about in, in the ocean is, uh, is be, be careful if there's a giant mouth wanting to eat you. Uh, yeah. I love the explosive circling the teeth of the monster that just that that whole kind of classic Mm -hmm. that was a little bit more Mm -hmm. of a set piece it had the the heroism of oh the the kids came for the the clones were getting uh, dragged down (laughs) and the idea of like all of our explosives the whole crate was great over the top but then the wonderful tension of but we need one to set it off in the the circling the teeth was like that. Like, is the pool? Did you make the pool a shot or not? Kind of thing is really great.
3: Yeah, it reminded me when I was a kid. My my grandparents had a, a pachinko game. If you've ever played that or been familiar with that, you launch the little metal balls and they bounce down and slowly, mm-hmm. they yeah, maybe get into like a flower or something. And it, and that was I was thinking of that moment. It was like kink kink kink. Is it going to boom? And
1: the flower opens up and explodes. I love it. <laughs> beautiful, yeah, beautiful
4: great sound design.
1: Yeah. Um. I also in in the. The the final episode had was much more action packed, so I have a couple yeah. from there. Ben, do you have some thoughts from the final episode?
3: Uh I, I no, there's a lot of more traditional action, great gunfights we can talk about. I, I I put down the note of the Emperor arriving is action as well. Anytime the Emperor mm-hmm. arrives, lot of lot of action, a <laughs> lot of flying, a lot of lining
4: up,
1: a lot of power on display. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer, any moments for, of action from you in the the third episode?
4: I mean, the whole thing was just one action thing. Even if it wasn't, like you're saying, with with Palpatine, it's just like, I'm on the edge of my seat. What's going to happen? That's how I define action for me, right? Um.
1: <laughs> the intent so, of this was to pick out <laughs> actual beats of like Star Wars set piece um, action. Mm. But, but I think that's the, the Bad Batch is different because that's what we're responding to is the tension rather than the sort of release of it in the actual mm. action moments. Right, yeah. right. right. Mm. uh yeah for me uh i really like that individual moment where crosshair has already taken down the droid but it's like it was it's his like cynicism and paranoia that he casually shoots the droid one more time (laughs) once the droid (laughs) is already down yes it's gotta stay down um they did a great build-up of what other beast is out there uh beyond you know the shield Mm. rays Mm -hmm. uh that doom that even though the lurka hounds can't stand up against so I, mm. I did like the reveal of the dry axe
5: mm. and that
1: the those images of that th- that weird creature being jumped on by the lurkers and throwing them away. That was all like the like real King Kong stuff of oh, yeah. Yeah. you know mm-hmm. they venture into uh into the wilderness and are afraid of the monsters themselves. But if they get lucky the monsters will attack each other. Yeah. It's like real classic kaiju King Kong stuff that I really enjoyed. Absolutely. Always a bigger fish, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um final one for me is uh I, I loved it when uh Crosshairs slammed that one clone commando. He that whole kind of fisticuffs fight, it felt like mm-hmm. again, Crosshair's not what he once was. Uh but when he slammed the clone commando's uh, helmet into the wall in the lights did the blink out yeah, uh, yeah before yeah. they went all the way dark. Yeah. I, I really love celebrating those moments because I just imagine some, you know, storyboard artist or some animator along the path of like, Yep, I got the basics of the fight, but we slow it down for just a beat for their light to blink yeah. then, mm. that it becomes such great flavor that makes action not just feel the same to me yeah mm. so mm-hmm. so video
3: game like time to go back to the lobby and start again with the clone, clone, clone commander then. <laughs>
1: yeah exactly uh we also like to talk about comedy whimsy weirdness ken any moments of uh of levity that you yeah. enjoyed. There wasn't as much here. I, I, well,
3: yeah, it was much, but there's always some to find. Uh, I mean, I think Batcha, the the Lurker Hound it, it, it itself. She she was whimsy and and, and wonder uh, buried beneath it all. There, uh, I choose that. I, I look Gonkey coming back. Gonkey being on Wrecker's back mm-hmm. It's its own mm-hmm. kind of comedy. And Blaster Beam Sting, a uh, great line from Wrecker. That's a T-shirt waiting to happen. Oh,
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Blaster Beat Stick.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I wrote I wrote it as Blaster Beam Sting, but maybe. I read it wrong. No, well, I. Don't want to I, you know what? Both.
1: Well, they're both good. Maybe <laughs> I wrote it down wrong. I thought he said blaster beat stick kid. <laughs> Just like he great. might. Yeah. 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 Mm. Hilarious. Uh, Jennifer, uh, any moments of whimsy or weirdness or comedy that you enjoyed?
4: I loved the the bachelor in the moonlight because when I was hearing the sounds, I'm like, oh no. Badger's goner. Yep, that's Badger being torn yep, to yep, shreds. Yep. Right, yep, and yep. then we see that shot with the the, the yep. howling. That was just that was. I don't know how to describe it. It was just fun. It was just something fun and kind of ch- it hope. made me chuckle. It's hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah a it little was, bit of hope.
1: It was it is a beautiful shot, and it is to me. I just really took it as Hemlock is not correct. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that that she made him weak by socializing him mm-hmm. by domesticating him. Instead, he's out there howling at the moon um, naturally, yeah. and we see that fear pass over Omega's face, which is, I think, exactly the fear the audience was, yeah. oh, <laughs> was yeah. feeling that the end of this would be <laughs> Batcher being ripped apart. Yep, yeah, yeah. uh, it would be terrible. Um, yeah. I-, I love the line that uh, Omega said to Batcher in the first episode you need to run away and try not to bite anyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 very mm-hmm. kind, very good mm-hmm. parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the second episode, when they walk into the cave, uh, Recker says, quite a place you got here, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was uh, yeah. a great bit of comedy about uh, three children living in a cave.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, he, he'd enjoy yellow jackets. Uh, yeah, I like Recker always. He, anytime he walks, he's kind of, he's concerned about the the home vibe. He wants a good home vibe. Yeah,
5: yep.
1: yeah. Absolutely. Going back to the beginning, he liked their place that they got to stay in, uh, Diplica yeah. City. That was their their place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I- anything from the last episode from you Ken, uh, in a uh, moment of comedy y-
3: yeah cuz you mentioned there's a great heavy i love cross like have you found a weak point not really i'm kind of improvising uh, thematically rich <laughs> but just got a funny beat and then i look at uh, you know kicking a mouse droid i don't know if i don't know if i agree with it but i think mouse droids are always painted as a little annoying i think mm-hmm. they're kind of cute but i love the omega kicking the mouse droid out of the elevator
1: Mm-hmm. yeah it was I, I thought that one was one of the the highlights for me. How about for you, Jennifer, anything in the final episode?
4: yeah, the the whole escape. There were moments of levity which I really appreciated. um, and like you guys both mentioned when uh, he's like, you know, did tech teach you the plan? And she says, mm-hmm. yes, he was like, of course he did. like it just it was funny, but in comedic, but it was also like, oh mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's uh, tech was such a great character. What a shame.
1: Uh, I just, I, I teared up because like, I I did miss tech. I think Mm -hmm. I I missed some of the comedy. I felt the, the loss of just, there's the sadness that he died, but there's just the loss of his presence in the show Mm -hmm. in that moment, like brought him back for a second of his insistence of like being very uh, technical, being very specific, learn everything in the way Crosser said, of course you did. It's like the nicest thing he's, uh, of course he did. It's like the nicest thing Crosshair's ever said about tech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Made me, made me tear <laughs> up. Um, a couple other ones from uh, the final episode for me. Uh, I, I loved Crosshair's delivery and I thought he kind of stepped up and, and, and was a little bit of the comedy and you know, like the emperor's here. Another mm-hmm. reason this was not the day to wing an escape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> and uh, his, uh, his very droll sarcasm on that. Oh, good. Killer hounds. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. great stuff. Uh, all right. Was there anything that either of you uh, uh, disliked or questioned about these episodes? Jennifer, was there anything that you you bumped against and, and were challenged by?
4: No, the only thing I could think of was uh, that now I'm going to assume that Asajj Ventress is going to be a bounty hunter that's going to go after Omega. And that made me a little bummed out. <laughs> I mean, maybe not, which again brings up the whole issue about you know, whether she's alive. And no, it's not going to conflict with Dark Disciple. So I don't know where my head is on that. But that's just instinctively where I went. But then when I start to unravel that thread, I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Well, and it could be that she starts out bounty hunting and and, and from her life experience is like, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doing anything bad to this girl. Yeah. Right, it right. doesn't feel like Asajj, where she's at, is going to do anything you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, an right. you know, omega ally. Uh, Ken, was there anything you disliked or questioned about these three episodes?
3: Definitely didn't like dislike anything about the, these episodes. The writing, the the execution of the ideas. I, I think these are three wonderful episodes and, and an ongoing. Uh, uh, you know, show that we absolutely love uh, the question. I, I, I don't I'm not a, I don't want to be a, a wet blanket or or pouring water uh, on the on the fire of uh, the I, I'm just I'm questioning exactly how far they're going to take Project Necromancer to mm-hmm. the connections. And, and will if it stops short of what people might want or that is that going to be and I, I'm not this isn't about I'm worried about the discourse, but it's just like I, I was in my head a little bit about that. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. both excited. I'm excited, but also like, okay, all right, let's see where we're going. But I absolutely trust this team, and that's what we've said uh, pretty much from the start here.
1: Yeah, no, I think I had a little bit of anxiety about the Project Necromancer as well, of like how how much of this story is being told. There's a part of me that feels like we have – been nibbling around the edges of this story in Star Wars storytelling for many yep. years, so there's a part of me just like, just show me, just do it.
5: <laughs> yes, no, <laughs> I've gotten there. Yep.
1: What's going on? Let's let's mm-hmm. let's lay this down. Let's get this figured out. And yeah. uh, I hope, regardless of whether it's significant to the overall arc, I would really love to see some of the other projects because it's just it, oh, it's yeah. fun. It's yep. fun, great, weird fantasy storytelling of what all creepy, weird, awful things are trying to do, like creating the, the mm-hmm. Slithervine monsters. And I do want the Zill Beast follow up of. Whatever comes of that. And, yeah. you know, all, all that storytelling. Um, I, I'm sure this is just totally like contract stuff, too. This is the other only tiny, <laughs> tiny issue I could find. Ian McDermott's pretty deep in the credits there. Uh, for being <laughs> Ian McDermott. He doesn't yeah. get his own card. Come yeah. on. Uh,
3: yeah. For, and, and, a, and a sizable portion of that episode, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
5: Yeah. yep. Yeah.
1: And some amazing yeah. stuff. Well, as we wrap up here, uh, Ken, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to touch on?
3: Tech 2.0. Uh, I am all in on that. We saw that figure that's from the trailer. He's just kind of sitting there doing a humph, uh, walks away. I, 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 I'm I waiting to see that reveal. And, and if, if your absolute gut-wrenching tech theory comes true, sir.
1: <laughs> well, we'll see. Yes, my, my gut-wrenching theory for anybody who hasn't uh, watched is that uh, not that the tech we know would have survived that, but perhaps that they would – clone tech so we would indeed meet a new tech and yet uh he is the same but different because he doesn't have the life experiences of the tech we know i have no idea whether that's Mm going to happen but i do feel like some more tech resolution is is probably needed as hunter stares at everything he's lost between the doll for omega and the goggles for tech that Mm -hmm. we're not done telling that story so i am excited uh to see what that's about um just a tiny detail of design that i loved We've been seeing uh, Deveronians since um, the very beginning, as you covered well, Jennifer, in your Jedi <laughs> Beat about the Cantina aliens. I don't remember if we've seen them before with their cool armor that goes over the horns. That was just right. like a really cool mm. design
5: mm-hmm.
4: yeah.
1: that I really yep. loved. Yep. Jennifer, anything else that we haven't talked about that you wanted to touch on?
4: No. I can't think of anything uh, at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to probably go back and rewatch these episodes before <laughs> next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, looking forward to next week. Uh, well, we always like to wrap up with a fun question on our report shows. So, Ken, if you could have a figure or merch of any character inspired by these episodes, who or what would you want?
3: I, I got three choices, but I'm going to choose the one that I think I'd most likely get, and it's Omega's Lunch Pail. Mm. i want i want
1: you know it's
3: multi-leveled and you can hide things it's it's i like storage uh, i I'd, I'd have an omegas lunch pail purchase in my future if that was real
1: it would be pretty fun to go to galaxy's edge and say i want the chicken nuggets that are meant for the space dogs <laughs> yeah i'm going to eat those yeah. sell
5: those sell that little pack
1: <laughs> yeah why not uh jennifer uh, what uh, merch or figure would you want inspired by these episodes
4: and well, now I want that too. And I bet you I could like makeshift an old toolbox or something. Yeah, uh, gosh, that'd be really fun. But no, I actually think about for an action figure or maybe like a really beautiful statue would be Omega holding her little doll, her straw
1: doll. Mm. I think
4: that, that would just be really Really sweet. Like a precious moment, <laughs> Star Wars style. Yeah.
1: I think that is probably out of all of the weird things we've wished for, probably the most realistic, uh, like yeah. Yeah. that image of Omega with that straw doll is so powerful that I'm sure we're going to see many different images of it. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, m- endless cosplay. I'm, I'm betting at uh, the next Star Wars celebration of yeah. Omegas st- with, uh, straw Lula dolls. Um, My main one, and I'll only say this on the first episode of the Bad Batch report for season three, and then I'll let it go. The main thing I want to see is the damn Bad Batch in three and three quarter vintage. Uh, They have only made Hunter so far Mm -hmm. and and not the other main characters for vintage. They have them in Black Series. So, man, I'd really love if they uh, got caught up with the audience love of the Bad Batch. Uh, For this specific episode, I loved the design of the of uh, Project Necromancer room, once we got mm. past all the lasers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it, you know, we all kind of poke fun at Beaumont Kin's, you know, uh, cloning, mm-hmm. dark magic, blah 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 line. That room looked exactly like what Beaumont Kin was talking yeah, about yeah. with like it. It looks technological, but with like all the the weird shapes and the red lights running between them, you know. Yeah, it's just it's it's so great. Um, it's so I, I was like, exactly, and and. I was like, "Do I want a place out of that?" Like, no. Here's what I want because I want to know exactly what's in all those tubes. I want an ice mold of Palpatine's clone room, so I could you mm-hmm. open it up, <laughs> pour the water in, oh. make whatever wh- whoever whatever clone is in there, uh, make a little ice shape of them, and then you put them in my drinks.
5: Wow, that.
1: that's great. Yeah, that's great. Palpatine clone room ice mold is my desire well we'll see uh which of these merches uh which of these desires come true but that is it that is our big look at the first three episodes of season three of bad batch ken you want to take us home
3: I do. We're the Force Center Pod. Thanks for those who are joining us, as always, and are uh, here with us for uh, the Bad Batch. run. if you're just uh, tuning in or listening for the first time, you can find us on Twitter and threads at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram and Facebook as well, Force Center Podcast over there. YouTube channel, if you're listening to the podcast, head over there, subscribe, uh, watch our faces, watch Jen's dog attack a window. It's one of the highlights <laughs> of this episode. Uh, and also, you can get merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center Podcast. It's available a lot of spots. Just search or find us. You you can support us directly at patreon.com/slash force center. Follow me at KednapSuck or go to my website, KednapSuck.com. Got some comedy dates locally, early March hitting up some stuff. And then Boston and early April information to come. Jen, where can they find you?
4: Mm-hmm. Be sure to check out my first JediB episode right here on this YouTube channel, uh, the Force Center channel. However, you can also find me on other social media sites like YouTube and Instagram, and you know, everywhere else at Jennifer Landa or TikTok at Jennifer Landa eleven thirty
3: eight. All right, sir, take us home. Where can they uh, lodge also their agreements with your complaint that there's not enough vintage <laughs> figures, including? I was thinking they need a wrecker with Gonky on his back, like Chewie oh. and three PO from the oh, Empire
1: line. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So, where can they find you? That was some high-quality, gonky content. That was great. Anyway, you can find me uh, on all the social media. At Joseph Grimshaw is my handle pretty much everywhere. I'm trying to spend some time on Blue Sky, so if you want to check that one out and give it a try, you can find me there. Uh, You can also find my weekly blog newsletter, blog letter. Uh, It's called Finish Your Monsters. It is talking about creative adventures and trying to stay inspired while also being realistic about uh, how it can be a difficult Path uh, that is uh, findable by just going to uh, button down and searching for "finish your monsters." That is it. This is the end of the Bad Batch report. <laughs>